phones. I'm going to get microphones. We are coding. It is time. It was me. I spell well. Don't share. Happy holidays. Any last words, my lord? Now's the time. I was wrong. You're the Lord Commander. We all serve you. I'm sorry. Not only for this, for all I've done and said. I was wrong. My lord, please, mercy. Mercy. I'll go, I will. Please. I'm afraid. I've always been afraid. Well met, Khaleesi impersonating whores and dowager queens, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, the Shadowcaster. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, Breaker of Christmas Ornaments. And this is episode 85. On this episode of our series rewatch, we are covering Game of Thrones, season 5, episode 3, High Sparrow. And in case you're not already aware, this series rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season seven. If not, there's still time to be abducted by an exiled Andal and dragged through the doom of Valeria to be presented to the Savior. So you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Oh man, what an episode. <laughs> Yeah, it always I always hate the introduction of the High Sparrow just because I freaking hate that guy. <laughs> yeah, you know? but I, it's a great episode nonetheless. It is a good episode. We we go lots of places. I mean, we go to Winterfell. We go to Volantis. Yeah, we're in King's Landing. Um, we're up at the Wall. We're over in Bravos. So we get a lot of different characters this um, this episode. True. What's your number five? My number five is Brienne the Beauty. Nice. I knew you were going to do that. So I picked the first half about Pod because I knew you were going to okay. talk Okay. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Yeah, I think uh, Gwendolyn Christie does such a great job with this monologue that she does. And we really get kind of, you know, a, a, an image into Brienne's past and maybe why is she so reserved and so, you know, kind of man-hating, like, and closed off. Like, she's super closed off with Jamie when they first start traveling yep, together. Totally. And then she's super closed off with Pod. And, you know, this is a very similar story arc to her and Jamie and the fact that she's very closed off. She's kind of a bitch. But then all of a sudden, she starts to open up a little bit. She starts seeing merit in his character and uh, is able to overcome her prejudgment from being male. <laughs> 
Yeah. So basically my top, my number five is the story about Renly and she was talking, you know, like Renly was a good man. Yeah. uh, Pod says that Tyrion said that he was a good man, which means something to Pod because he, he has a lot of faith in Tyrion. So he asks her how she ended up serving him. Yeah. So we, we come to discover that Brienne is the only living child. And so that means to me that she had siblings, but they passed away at some point. Ah, good catch. Yeah. Only living child of Selwyn Tarth. Yeah. So I thought maybe at first she was an only child, but the way she said living child, I'm thinking that maybe her siblings were either killed or died. And so that, you know, is also telling into her character development. Um, we learned that her father dragged her to the ballroom, which I found kind of funny because a couple <laughs> episodes ago, Tywin said to Cersei, you know, like, I'm, I'll drag you into the church to get you married. Oh, like, true. That's funny. So clearly this is not uncommon for fathers to do is drag their daughters to these events. Right. No rights for women in Westeros. Yeah. And we see the look on her face and she was like, I got there and it was wonderful. Um, you know, they all were lining up. They threatened to duel when it was their turn to dance. They whispered in my ear how they wanted to marry me and take me back to their castles. Nobody noticed how mulish and tall she was. <laughs> I, just I know. Mulish was a hilarious choice <laughs> <The> of mulish, <laughs> yeah. You know, and my father smiled at me and I smiled at him. And I felt like when she said that, you know, she was finally making him proud because... We knew from her conversation with Arya that her father didn't want her to fight and was really anti-fighting, you know, learning how to fight with a sword. Right. But then he finally broke down. But I'm sure he wasn't very happy about teaching her the proper way. (laughs) Sure. So to, you know, to put a smile on her father's face of acting a lady. Right. Yeah. Pretty significant. Dancing with all these lords. That's, you know, pretty significant. And she says, I'd never been so happy. I know. And so then, you know, then she started seeing the smiles on their faces and they were starting to snicker. They couldn't keep it going any longer. And, you know, Brienne the beauty, they called me. And I realized I was the ugliest girl alive. A great lumbering beast. Oh, so rough. Poor Brienne. I know. And it's just like basically being bullied and it's at a young age. It's so difficult to get over something like that and not have a chip on your shoulder. Right. Especially when it comes to things result like revolving around like self image and self consciousness, you know? Exactly. And so Renly came up to her and, you know, says to her, don't let them see your tears. They're nasty little shits and nasty little shits aren't worth crying over. <laughs> yeah. I love that he says that. Um, and it it's really telling about Renly's compassion and the type of person that he was and the fact that he had so many followers when he was, um, when he did declare himself king. That right. from a democracy, democracy standpoint if you were looking at joffrey baratheon stannis baratheon and renly i think 
Runley would have kind of won the popular vote. Yeah, and he had most of the banners when he declared uh, himself king. And the only way that Stannis was able to overcome his power and his alliances and friendships that he had built was with the blood magic, you know? Yeah, basically he had to kill him. And yeah. so this is really telling of maybe why Renly was so loved and people followed him and gravitated towards him. So I thought it was important not from Brienne's development, but also to remember like what a good person Renly actually was and right. that he probably would have been a really good king. Um, so he danced with her and nobody could say anything because he no was the one king's could say brother. Anything. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Which I thought was awesome. And, then <laughs> pod he's like well wasn't he <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes pod he liked men i'm, I'm not an, an idiot, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't love me he didn't want me he danced with me because he was kind and didn't want to see me hurt he saved me from being a joke from, from that, that day, day until, until his, his last, last day. day i couldn't and i couldn't save him in return oh so brutal and her last line, nothing is more hateful than failing to protect the one you love. Yeah, so brutal, man. And Baelish had said last episode that her loyalty came free of charge, but that's not the case. You know, Renly earned her loyalty by sticking up for her. Absolutely. Yeah, that was another little bullet point that I had was we we see Brienne kind of flip from person to first person to serve and follow, but Renly was truly the person that she wanted to support and right. follow. And it wasn't free of charge, but at no. the same time, she can't be bought. You exactly. know what I mean? Which is interesting. Yeah, it's it's a interesting dynamic because people write her off as being bought, like the Hound wrote her off. Lannister like the gold all my life. <laughs> yep. So, but really we come to learn that Brienne is loyal and not easily bought or easily influenced and you know to an extent i think she gravitated towards cat because cat was a strong woman and the starks are known to be honorable and noble like yeah, why totally. wouldn't you want to help that house over the freaking lannisters like let's be real <laughs> freaking lannisters freaking lannisters but yeah so i also like pod you know said well you know he was killed by, or was it Brienne that said he was killed by a shadow, a shadow with the face of Stannis Baratheon? Yeah, it was right after she says, nothing's more hateful than failing to protect the one you love. One day I will avenge King Renly. But you said a shadow murdered him. How, how do you fight a shadow? <laughs> yeah. And I love this sentiment. Stannis is not a, not, is a man, not a shadow. And men can be killed. Yeah. And she, she does it. <laughs> she does it. As far it. as we know. <laughs> as I was gonna say, it's. I've always wondered why they didn't show his actual death. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah. I think he's likely dead. I do because too. I think we would have seen him by now again. But still, they didn't show it. <laughs> right. He <laughs> killed Renly. You know, that's that's not an easy thing to get Brand to change her mind about. Like. <laughs> avenging his death <laughs> yeah so that was my number five i liked uh, right at the end there when um, and a man can be killed she's sort of at that moment reaches down with a stick and is like so, kind of stoking the fire and poking it 
And it reminded me of, because um, she's talking about killing a king, it reminded me of Stannis throwing the leeches on the brazier oh, when he was talking about killing kings. Just a kind of a neat parallel there. Except one yeah. one's blood magic and one's not. Nice. Good parallel. Thanks. So what is your number five? My number five, Pod gets his shot. Nice. It's the same scene. Pod, uh, they see the banners as Lady Sansa and Baelish ride towards Moat Kalen. And um, <laughs> it's so funny. Pod's like, how the fuck do we get through there? And Ren's like, we don't. We go around. He's like, that'll take us so far out of the way. She's like, it doesn't matter. I know where we're going. And she's so, like, uh, blasé about it. Like, she's she's pretty slick in this scene, figuring out what's going on. Kind of like the way Sansa figures out what's going on, too. Like, oh, my God, sure. that, that wedding, uh, that marriage proposal wasn't for you, you know? Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. They both kind of, like, read in between the lines in this scene and figure out things and, and where they're going and everything. And so... Uh, She's talking to to Pod, and she's like, "Aren't you getting a bit old to be a squire? How'd you end up squiring for the imp?" And <laughs> and uh, we learn that Podrick was was working with a guy, um, squiring for a knight named Sir Lorimer, who borrowed a ham. You know, he wasn't a thief; he was just drunk and hungry, <laughs> and wasn't thinking. And Pod was drunk too, and he ate half the ham. And the next morning, uh, the guards found Sir Lorimer passed out under a wagon with the ham bone still in his hand and they <laughs> hanged him that afternoon that is swift action damn and pod's like wigging out yeah. he's burying his ham bone right i'm sure yes <laughs> so they're dying tying the news for podrick too but uh tywin heard that he was a pain and uh he pardoned him and sent him to king's landing to squire for uh for the imp I find uh, it funny that his last name is Payne because he's such a pain in Brienne's ass. <laughs> yeah, and you know the other major pain that we know, right? Major Dylan Payne. This is his nephew. Yeah, I think so. Ne- I think it's his nephew. Yeah, we'll go with that. Which is why Tywin has him pardoned because Dylan Payne, as we know, is the king's justice. Right, and has been very faithful to the Lannister family. Yes. He's the guy without the tongue. Yeah, exactly. Who, who chopped off Ned Stark's head with, <laughs> with ice. With ice, yeah. And scared Sansa. And, and the hound kind of like saved him, saved her from him, kind of. You know. Yeah. Kind <laughs> so of a funny. creepy guy. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, apparently, uh, that actor had cancer. I think he's overcome it now, but he's a, he plays guitar and stuff. Seems like a cool guy. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. So then... Um, She's like, oh, you know, she assumed that that was a punishment for both the imp and for uh, for Pod. And to obviously to Pod, he says it didn't seem that way because it's like saving him from death, basically, you know. And he goes on to say that Lord Tyrion has always been very good to him. And uh, that sort of hits Brienne. And she's like, yes, all your all your lords have been very kind to you. All except me. And she apologizes. She says, sorry, you have to squire for such a nasty person. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. she starts walking away, and th- what Pod said n- says next stops her dead in her tracks. He says, "I'm not sorry. You're the best fighter I've ever seen. You beat the Hound, you know." And she stops, and she, like you this can really see her. This really takes her aback. Yeah, her gears are turning. She's like, "Whoa!" And uh, that's that's a, means a lot, to, you know. Like he he's been uh, around Jamie Lannister, you know. He's been around all these 
players in King's Landing and everything like that. Braun, you know. So her, for him to say this about Brienne, it, it means something to her. And, she, I mean, she fought Jamie, so she knows that she can fight Jamie, at least when he's weakened. She sure. beat the Hound in his weakened state, like I mentioned. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's an impressive but thing. These are formidable... And, knights that yeah. are, are foes that she's Legendary going toe-to-toe toe with and while they may be you know a, a bit handicapped like to even keep up with them fighting even with their handicap i it's pretty impressive right yeah and i'm not definitely not trying to downplay um brienne's talent at all she's you know a beast no, she's, I... she's descended from sir duncan you know so of course i'm gonna rep brienne <laughs> You guys are related? <laughs> um, so Pod goes on and says, I'm proud to be your squire. And uh, she sort of realizes in that moment how lucky they are to have each other. Um, he's got something that she appreciates, which is loyalty. And, he, you know, because that's what she's all about. And uh, he recognizes her talent and whatnot. And then he, she has something she realizes that he deserves and would can benefit from and that's fighting skills like he mentioned so she apologizes again saying i'm sorry i'm always snapping at you and he he <laughs> in such a, like a a servile servile manner says you know like well if you didn't snap at me i wouldn't learn anything <laughs> <laughs> and then she's she drops the bomb you want to be a night pod yes starting tomorrow we'll train with the sword twice a day before we ride in the morning and after you make camp in the evening. And I'm going to show you how to ride properly. And I, in my <laughs> notes, I have, I bet Rachel's happy about this. Yes, <laughs> finally. Yeah. Get him a good seat. Yes. So she, he's super stoked. Put your damn hands down. Yeah, yeah. So he's super stoked about it. Thank you. And uh, she says, I can't knight you, but I can teach you how to fight. And in a moment of wisdom, he says, I suppose that's more important anyway, you know, <laughs> which is funny. Bit. And that's when he uh, mentions that she's not a knight, but that she was for a king's guard for Renly Baratheon. And uh, that's when it goes into your number five. So, yeah. Nice. Pretty much wraps up my number five. Love that scene. Their Me dynamic too. is great. They're great traveling companions. Yeah. Another great pairing. So what's uh, your number four? So my number four is the Lady of Winterfell. Ooh, nice. Yes. And this is when Sansa returns to Winterfell. And I love, I almost put the the scene where Littlefinger and Sansa are looking down on Moat Kalen because I think that's a really important scene. But I wanted to, I felt like after I saw her interaction with Roos Bolton, I felt like this was a stronger number four. It's a shorter number four, but it's really, really telling on how well Sansa is learning how to play this game. Yeah, seriously. So we see the, <laughs> I hope you can't hear Dave in there. Um, <laughs> we see the gates open and Sansa comes riding in and Reek sees Sansa and is like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, man. Like, Fucking this is Reek. not a good situation. This is going to be um, super awkward. Right. This is the big test for Reek, too. Like I mentioned a few episodes ago, being at Winterfell, yes. having all of his memories triggered. 
uh, if that wasn't enough, seeing Sansa is what puts him over the edge to yes. kind of snap back into being Theon a bit. Yes, you can see it kind of playing out on his face. Right, that... like he doesn't know how to interact with Sansa as Reek. He, he, the only way he knows how to interact with Sansa is as Theon. And he's probably trying to suppress his memories, too. Because like, he's been so tortured and beaten that he's Reek and you know, is not Theon Greyjoy anymore, but he's having Theon Greyjoy's memories. <laughs> yeah, like, so what that is has going to be on? kind of a mind fuck. Yeah, totally. You know? So Sansa gets off her horse and um Littlefinger, you know, starts talking to Roos and I Sophie Turner, the way she acts in this scene is unreal. She <laughs> walks up to Roos yep. and that look on her face, she's like, I despise you. I hate you. I want to fucking kill you. And he, you know, says, Lady Sansa, welcome. And she just like lingers just a hair too long to make it slightly uncomfortable and then that look turns to this Boop. beautiful <laughs> smile of a diplomatic lady and she goes lord bolton and does her little curtsy unbelievable and you can this is this is where sansa starts playing the game yeah this is like her second moment of like really playing the game the first was when her testimony about Littlefinger, where she mixed the lies with the truth and then yes. this is just like full-on acting like holy I mean, we shit know that we know that sansa is very good at being diplomatic and playing the role of the lady we see this when she's down True. in king's landing with Tyrion, and Tyrion says to her you know we can like stop this marriage to you and Joffrey. And she goes, I am loyal to my beloved Joffrey. You know, he is my king and keeps walking. He goes, Lady Sansa, you may survive us yet. Right. So we know that she's learned this at a young age, but she was pretty miserable looking when she said that line to Tyrion. Right. She's looking at her brother's killer in this scene and like acts like nothing ever happened between the Starks and the Boltons. Yeah, it's amazing. I have Sansa somehow manages not to freak out. Impressive. <laughs> Written down in my notes. I just think she's so well-groomed. She's just groomed to be a lady. And then um, Roos introduces Ramsay. You know, may I introduce my son, Ramsay? And she actually smiles really honestly at Ramsay. Oh, you think like so? She, nice. I do, because I don't think she has a clue what a crazy sadist he is at all. Right. I don't think she has the slightest clue. So, And he smiles at her, and for like half a second, he seems like a fairly decent person. I mean, he kisses her hand, she smiles, they, they exchange pleasantries. Yeah, this is a psychopath mimicking human traits. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, terrifying. And it's playing off, because she is, honestly, I think looking forward to meeting him. I mean, mm -hmm. if you think about it, she was married to, to Tyrion, who we know that she was not attracted to. Ramsay, if you don't know Ramsay as a character, is a decent looking guy. He is smiling at her. He's kissing her hand. He's being proper just the way she's being proper. Mm -hmm. So maybe there was like a, a glimmer of 
oh, hey, maybe this won't be so bad. Yeah, maybe he's not as bad as his father. Maybe he's a good Bolton. <laughs> maybe he's fucking worse than his father. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Miranda's watching from the background like fucking yeah. pissed. My note says Miranda is jelly. <laughs> oh, yeah, big time. So we hear the beautiful Stark music playing in the background as she's walking down the hall with the little old lady. And I was wondering, is that the same room that she used to stay in when she lived at Winterfell? Yeah, I was or wondering was the same thing. Room? I'm not sure. Because she kind of looks around, and I don't believe we ever see Sansa's room in the show. I know we see Bran's room and Ned and Catelyn's room. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we ever see the girls' rooms. So I was wondering... We see Arya's room because that's where John gives her needle. But I don't oh, remember right. if we that's see right. Sansa's. I don't think we do. So I was just that was just a note. Yeah, I, I yeah popped through my head too, wondering the same thing. I wasn't sure. And the music, ah, oh, the Stark music is my favorite. That violin, something about a violin, man. It's one of my favorite instruments. <laughs> I always like, miss we, the Stark music. <laughs> it's like goes right past oh, me. Oh really? Yeah. Oh serious. I I can't help it. Anytime it starts, I get goosebumps. I heard the Baratheon music in this episode uh, during yeah. the wedding. Yes, we did hear it during the wedding, which is funny because he's a Lannister. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But this little old lady, she goes, welcome home, Lady Stark. The North remembers. Yeah, that's our first and time I, hearing that line, too. I honestly, totally, my eyes welled up oh, for yeah. some reason. Like, the way she said it, she was so happy to have a Stark back in Winterfell. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Sansa's because, like, huh, like, people care, you know? Yeah. So, I'm wondering, I'm curious if that was her room or not, because she looked around it like it was familiar. Probably But that was. could also just be the fact that she's probably been in that room before. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's definitely been in every room, but it's probably her room. You know, why would, why would she go in a different room? Yeah, I don't know. She's not the Lady of Winterfell yet, uh, no. necessarily, uh, but she will end up in the, the Lord's Chambers. Yes, we know that when she goes back yeah, with and, John. and meets up with Arya and John. yeah. Yep. So, so that lady who says the North remembers, uh, that means some people must have survived the, uh, the culling of the small folk at Winterfell after, you know, with Theon and when Ramsay comes in. A lot of people got killed, but the, apparently some people survived. Yeah, I also think maybe a lot of the people that died while Theon was there were inside the castle walls. And True. Maybe some of these people that are still around were outside the castle walls because when Brienne and Pod get there, they talk yeah. to a man who's outside the castle and knows who the Starks are. And if I'm not mistaken, that man and the old lady were, I think they appear in a scene together. Yeah, so I think so. I, I'm not sure that this lady is inside the castle walls all the time. I think right, she probably Brienne lives out in the Right, because passes the message to the old the, to the guy, and the guy gives it to the woman, and the woman tells Sansa, like, if you're in trouble, That's light a candle right. in the okay. window. Yeah, so somehow, so I'm wondering if maybe when they got raided, those people outside the castle walls were able to at least flee for a time being, mm -hmm. like, temporarily, because Theon was more concerned about taking the castle than, like, Killing the commoners in the village. Right. 
Yeah, they probably didn't even need to flee. They probably just hung out in their little hovels outside the, yeah, outside the walls and just were like, what is going on? Yeah, so that was my number four. Nice. My number four is Cersei losing power quickly. Okay. <laughs> so we first see Cersei at the beginning of the episode, um, in a, or you know, close to it at least, in a litter. <laughs> <laughs> where oh, she belongs <laughs> in a litter box. box yeah um and she hears people calling out for queen marjorie and fucking is so pissed off about it and then we get a royal wedding it's been a, t- a couple weeks <laughs> since they talked a about fortnight. doing it it's been a fortnight um and was it season was it uh season five episode one where they talked about that yes no no it couldn't have been no, because uh it was the died finale. uh yeah tywin died in the end of last season i thought it would be funny if it was like two weeks after that episode aired when this when the when the royal oh. wedding actually took place like it would actually be a fortnight in between the episodes but no unfortunately yeah, that would have been funny <laughs> so uh we get tommen and marjorie getting married i am his and he and he is mine i am hers and she is mine from this day until the end of my days and they kiss and then as they separate the camera changes from being focused on the kiss to being focused on cersei in the background yes, i have this in my notes too yeah, and she looks so fucking pissed he's mad and that's when the baratheon theme comes on and uh, i love that song and then it cuts to uh tom and <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> breathing heavily from from um, consummating his marriage four or five times with Marjorie, and uh, he doesn't get it. Like what you know, like the like the interest, the the little intricacies yet. He's like, "Did I hurt you?" And she's like, "No, no, no. <laughs> You're lovely. You know? <laughs> it all happened so fast." Of course, which yeah, is a funny line. Well, it's funny because he's all like out of breath, and he's all like, you know, obviously just had an orgasm and <laughs> Marjorie like puts her hand up against her face and kind of like rolls off to the side. Like, uh, <laughs> like clearly she did not. Oh, uh, that's funny. Cause then he was like, yeah, that was quick. And she goes, yes, yeah, it was. That was too like, quick for uh, me. <laughs> that's hilarious. So I thought that was kind of funny. Totally. So, um, they go on and, uh, this is all he wants to do. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was a funny moment. This is all I want to do forever. Every day, all all day. Uh, and she it. goes, wouldn't that be glorious? And I, <laughs> I think that she is saying this to throw Tom and off because I think in reality, she's like, I don't want to do this all day because I'm not getting any of like the good stuff. <laughs> right. Maybe, you know, maybe if it lasted all day, maybe she would get the good stuff, you know. Maybe eventually <laughs> as long as it wasn't like two minute bursts all day which it probably is at this point because <laughs> he <laughs> can't control himself hilarious um so she he's ready to go at it again and she's like shouldn't we rest a little while catch our breaths you know there's no rush is there and he's like mm, i guess not you know <laughs> shut down boom um which is funny and he's like saying to himself oh king tommen First of his name, it, oh, it still sounds so strange to me. Does does Queen Marjorie sound strange to you? And she's like, so strange. But obviously that's bullshit because she was Queen Marjorie. This is her third time being Queen Marjorie. Yes. You know, yes. and that's her like whole goal. It just shows how naive Tommen is. Uh, and uh, she says, husband, you know, wife. 
So uh, he he goes on to say about how he it's it's weird that he's the king and it's all happened. He married the most beautiful world in the woman in the world and everything, all because his brother died. Yeah. And Marjorie's like, no, don't feel guilty. You know, it's not your fault. And he's like, well, I don't feel guilty. That's what's odd. <laughs> What'd you think about that? I I think it's telling that Tommen probably didn't really enjoy his brother very much, just like the rest of everybody, because we also get a sense of this when Marjorie sneaks into his bedroom. Right. And he's talking about how Joffrey threatened to cut up Sir Pounce and feed him in a stew so he wouldn't know I was eating him. <laughs> yeah. And, Rat cook style. Yeah, and he basically said, you know, my brother's like not a very nice person. So I I don't think he feels guilty, but I also don't I mean, maybe if you read even more into it, it's like I'm kind of relieved that he's not here anymore. Totally. All totally. he does is like torture everybody. And the funny thing is that whereas Joffrey would not have felt guilty, it would be because Joffrey's a psychopath. Whereas Tommen not feeling guilty, it's because it's like a relief to be rid of Joffrey and his evil presence and his malevolence. So uh, not feeling guilty in this case is not necessarily a sign of being a sociopath. Sure. <laughs> which yeah, is it's funny. almost like a sign of relief. And plus, from a literal perspective, too, he had absolutely nothing to do with Joffrey's death. So he, why would he feel guilt? He may feel sadness for losing his brother. Right. But yeah, that's true. Too. He's not going to be guilty, you know, feel guilty about it. Mm -hmm. So they connect about both loving to sail for a second. And Marjorie is like, I think we're going to be very happy, you and I, foreshadowing yes. the opposite. <laughs> and also, I think you know, other than foreshadowing that they don't really spend very much time together, but she realizes how malleable he is and easily manipulated. So she's thinking, you know, like I can get a lot done through Tommen. Right. Like I'll be happy with you. You'll be happy because you'll be getting some and I'll be happy because I'll be really ruling <laughs> the kingdoms. Yeah. And then on the flip side too, I think she will be really happy with him because she was facing a lifetime with Joffrey. Joffrey yeah. You know, totally. and now she's facing a lifetime. I mean, I know we know that it's a short lifetime now, but she, in this moment, she's she facing a lifetime with a really nice young man. A sweet little guy. He's sweet. And who probably is the only person to deserve the Iron Throne in what, a hundred years? This is said? Yes, Someone said that? Yes. Cersei said, said that. No, Marjorie said that to Cersei. Mm. Right. When he was sitting, getting coordinated, I, I think. Yes. So, uh, speaking of manipulating Tommen, uh, she wastes no time in starting to do so as she starts to plant seeds of moving Cersei <laughs> out of King's Landing back to <laughs> Casterly Rock. Like it here. Right, right. The capital's not for everyone, I suppose. <laughs> so, uh, she also subliminally makes him want to send her away by talking about her as if she's like in a, m more powerful than him by saying a lioness guarding her cub. And he's like, wait, but I'm, I'm a man now, you know, like she's not guarding me anymore type thing. <laughs> so she's working yeah. him from all these different psychological angles. guarding her cub. Yeah. <laughs> it's so wonderful to have her watching over you. And he's like, fuck, I don't want to be seen like a little But kid. I'm a man now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'll always be her baby boy. I suppose, you know, so she's just planting all these seeds. Get rid of her. Be a man, you know, don't be. And I love when Marjorie goes, I adore her. Yeah. So funny. <laughs> Just totally covering up her, her, uh, her, her hatred. Yeah. Her hatred and her, um, 
ambitions and like her real motives with you know like a sugar coating <laughs> yes <laughs> Which is great so uh she's always been so generous with me so kind and the horrors she's had to endure you know <laughs> yeah. it's so wonderful it's no wonder she's so protective of her she'll never let you out of her sight and that just makes him want to like get out of her sight basically yeah so yes. then it cuts to cersei and uh She's sowing seeds of doubt and, and everything with him, too. You look very much in love. You know, the first days of marriage are often so blissful, meaning, like, it'll get worse, you know? And uh, she's, she's certainly very pretty, isn't she? Like a doll. She smiles a lot. Do you think she's intelligent? I can't quite tell. So I'm <laughs> just <laughs> trying to, like, make him think, oh, the marriage is going to, you know, not be great eventually. Once the, the initial, you know, happiness wears off. I don't, think you, I don't think she's smart anyway, so she's sowing seeds of doubt of, like, her worthiness and everything. I find it interesting, too, because Cersei's sentiment to Tywin was that Marjorie was going to dig her claws in and Tywin was going to dig his claws in and they were going to rip him apart. But again, Cersei being kind of the self-fulfilling prophecy of like fucking up her kids, she's digging her claws into her own son, planting seeds of doubt. And Marjorie is planting seeds of doubt. So in kind of a reality, it's Cersei and Marjorie that are kind of ripping Tommen apart. Exactly. I have that in my notes next oh, to as well. No, sorry no, like you you said it better than I was going to. So <laughs> perfect. It's awesome. Yeah, I I I picked up on that parallel or that uh that um kind of that angle as well that instead of Mar Tywin and Marjorie digging their claws in now the Tywin's gone it's Cersei and Marjorie digging their claws in and she's doing just what she was mad at them for doing exactly which is hilarious um so that um Tommen goes on to ask her if she misses Casterly Rock and saying you know that's that's where you grew up that's your real home and uh, she's like, why are we speaking of Casterly Rock? You know, this is my real home now where my family lives. She says, nothing, she doesn't have anything. There's nothing for her at Casterly Rock anymore. And uh, he's like, I, I want you to be happy, mother. I, I know. Uh, and she's like, I know. He's like, but wouldn't you be happier in Casterly Rock? You know, and it, it started to show Cersei and she's like, you know. God like, damn is, it. Everything is failing. <laughs> And then uh, it, <laughs> it cuts to Marjorie talking about how four or five times, you know, they had sex consummating the yeah, marriage. And Surely four times is enough. Are you trying to set a new record? <laughs> well, what is the record? I'm sure we can break it. And then Cersei walks in and she calls her mother, which is hilarious. And uh, Cersei's playing, paying compliments. Don't you look lovely? Marriage agrees with you. And uh, <laughs> Marjorie starts insulting her right away. Can we bring you something to eat or drink? I wish we had some wine for you, but it's a bit early in it's the day for us. It's a bit early us. for us. Ooh, <laughs> insult number one. Cersei's <laughs> still being diplomatic. Uh, no, I can't stay. I just wanted to let you know if there's anything I can do for you. You know, and she's like, you're very sweet. Tommen is such a great boy. You know, you, you've done a great job with him. I adore him. And uh, she's he raised like, a gallant young man. I am forever grateful. Yeah, I'm so glad you're happy. And she's like, ecstatic. I really am exhausted, to be honest. But what could I expect? He's a half lion, half stag, <laughs> which I thought was a hilarious. That's a great line. Yeah, because nobody wants to like hear about their kids having sex, right? Uh, no. So uh, <laughs> she's telling her mom that, which is so funny. And then um, 
she she says, what's the proper way to address you now? I get so confused. Queen mother or dowager queen rubbing in that she's no longer in power, you know, insult At number all. two. Yeah. And then <laughs> she, Cersei's like brushes it off. There's no need for such formalities. Like, fuck you. And then uh, she Marjorie goes on to say, in any event, judging from the king's enthusiasm, the queen mother will be a queen grandmother soon. Like, then, uh, oh, you're getting old, bitch. You know, <laughs> another thing. You're outdated now. Yeah, for sure. So she's rubbing in that she's more powerful than Cersei at, at this point and that her children will rule next. Which is funny. Yeah, she's Cersei is out. She's done. Yeah. Her her reign is up. Her, her reign on the top was short like leprechauns. Or in this case, like <laughs> imps. Uh, it's a it's a biggie line. Oh, okay. Your reign was... on the top was short like leprechauns as I crush so called willies, thugs, and rapper dons. Get in an ass quick fast like Ramadan. It's that rap phenomenon, Don Dada. Oh. <laughs> so uh they're talking talking about having grandchildren. Marjorie is like, won't that be a lovely day? Can you imagine the celebrations? They'll ring the bells all day and all night. And Cersei is just like, Argh! anything you need, like shut <laughs> yeah. the fuck up. I yeah. need to get out of here before yeah. I rip your face off. So funny. So yeah, she's just losing power every scene. Basically, um, it's it's just great. Which, I love when she's walking away too. She can hear them laughing in the background. Yeah, just rubbing it in even worse, and uh, this causes her to desperately seek new allies uh, later in the episode, which we'll get, I'll get into in my next point. So, okay, uh, cool. Moving on to your number three. What do you got? My number three is Volantis. Nice. I love the bridge of Volantis. Yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, they did such a real. I, I I'm not sure if that's a real bridge or part of it's kind of CGI'd or whatever it was. It was really cool looking. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, I got it the feeling that real. Yeah, it, yeah. The ba- the ba- base structure like looked really real. I got the feeling that maybe it may have been like a much smaller bridge that they shot and then um, digitally like superimposed all of the structures under the top of it, which made it look top. much bigger than it was. Um, but I don't know. I'd love to see the making of that. It'd be really cool. Maybe that maybe they did that somewhere. Yeah, it was just really a great shot and the water going underneath it and mm-hmm. all the hustle and bustle. It was it gave you kind of a claustrophobic feeling, like the camera angle walking through the crowds of people. I think we were either looking through like Varys or maybe even Tyrion's perspective. Mm-hmm. But Varys starts going through the the tattoos, like the flies for the dung shovelers and the what were like the masons for the blacksmiths and the tears for the horrors, lest they forget. Right. Yeah. Brutal. And before we even get out of the box in in Volantis, uh, just real quickly, Tyrion's like, I "I have to get out of this this box. I have to get out of this wheelhouse. I have to get out of this wheelhouse. Mm, I have to get out of this wheelhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just really funny. Everything very sad. He's just like, I have to get out of here. (laughs) Yeah. um, I'm trying to find that part in my notes here. He just keeps warning him about how dangerous it is and how they're hunting him. And Oh, yeah. And he goes, I will not be any use to Daenerys Targaryen if I lose my mind. Right. <laughs> and then he goes, what am I? One more drunk dwarf. Right. Yeah. Then nobody's going to care. Wrong. <laughs> like, and he puts his little, little hat or his little scarf over his head. And yep. 
<clears throat> thinks that he's safe. So he gets picked out by a couple people too that uh, that priestess eyes him. But we'll, I'm sure we'll get there in a minute. Yeah. So actually, my next note is the red priestess. So we we see that there's a red priestess and priestess, and she says the same thing that Malisandra says to Gendry that she was scourged and branded. Right, and they both were slaves. And that they were both slaves. But this red priestess actually had a tattoo. Right, which sort of hints to us that Melisandre is using a glamour. Exactly. So when she, when we see her as an old woman, does the old woman have a facial tattoo? No. I, Interesting. We, we talked about this, I think, when we did the... I want to say when we had like Travis and Johnny and Patrick on... Mm. We, I think we went over this that I was it that episode where Gendry and Malisandra are on Blackwater Bay looking up and Gendry finds out that he's a Baratheon, a bastard of Roberts. Right. Yeah. She and divulges that to him. Because so, when she said that, whatever episode it was, I at the end of that episode, I went to the episode The Red Woman and watched the scene where she undresses in the mirror and I cannot see a tattoo on her face. Continuity but, error. But I was wondering, maybe she's not from Volantis. Mm, true. Yeah. She could be from somewhere else. So maybe she's branded somewhere else, but we see her naked, like in every scene that she's in. So <laughs> <laughs> true. I have not seen a brand or a tattoo on her, but she they say the exact same thing that they were scourged and branded and then Tyrion is listening and um he goes you know i've only seen one red priest and that was thoros of mir in king's landing <laughs> and we've at this, this one's point, much better looking yeah this one's much better looking <laughs> so he's listening to this red priest priestess and she's talking about Daenerys Targaryen who's the savior um and he looks oh, over yeah. at Varys and he goes you didn't tell me we're going we're going to meet the chosen one or something like that and I yeah. thought that was really funny we're going to meet the savior you should the have savior. told me who doesn't yeah. want to meet the savior <laughs> there is a great moment though when she says like he has sent you a savior from the fire, she was born to remake the world, the Dragon Queen. And I was like, oh, I got chills, you know. Oh, yeah. Big time. So she continues to talk and then she looks up. Right. And she focuses in on Tyrion. And Tyrion, you can say, instantly gets uncomfortable. He's like, oh, fuck. Like, why is she looking at me? Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's like she doesn't see him. She like senses him and her like her face turns to him before her eyes do almost. It's like she's being like guided to look to him by like a sixth sense. And then finally she like turns her eyes and locks in on him knowingly and just stands there facing him staring. And it's super creepy. Do you think maybe it's because he could quite possibly be a Targaryen himself? I I don't even know. I have no idea. Maybe she like had I, a vision or something. Well, the reason I say that is because Malisandra does the same thing to John. We know John's a Targaryen. Oh, with like king's blood type thing, like they can yeah, sense it. Exactly. Malisandra, she, you know, 
narrows in on John. Like very she knows interesting. That, very that interesting. There's something with that, and then you know the obviously the red the red priest and priestess are you know spreading the word of Daenerys Targaryen, and then in this scene she's focusing on Tyrion who. There's theories out there that he could be a Targaryen. So I got the vibe that maybe she was picking up. Maybe she didn't know he, oh, that's a Targaryen right there. But maybe she picked up that same vibe like there's something special about him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the only other two people to touch a dragon in the series other than Danny, is Jon and Tyrion. Right. So it was just something that I thought maybe... She's picking up a vibe. She's sensing king's blood or royal royal blood. Yep, and uh, in the books, Brown Ben Plum has a drop of dragon's blood too. <laughs> and the oh. dragons like kind of like him because of it. Oh, how funny! Yeah, you'll, you'll get there. It's funny. So then Tyrion's like, "Oh fuck, let's get out of here. Let's go find a brothel." Yeah, yeah of course, his natural inclination and to they, find a brothel. They find the brothel, and the the guy with the the braided beard he rubs Tyrion's head and he's like it's good luck to rub a dwarf's head and <laughs> Tyrion it's even better luck to suck a dwarf's cock <laughs> one of the best lines <laughs> Which, of the show right there I know it's so funny so um amazing now we're in the brothel and we see the mother of dragons <laughs> with her booty hanging out with her butt hanging oh, out oh I love that and um, Tyrion's like, curious hair. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. It takes note. And it cuts of her over Targaryen to Jorah. Blonde. Oh, we Jorah! Don't know is, it's, we don't know it's Jorah. Right. At this we moment. see his hand put down a, a, a tankard first. Yes, but you know he's cheersing Varys without Varys really cheersing him back, and he goes, "Oh, you think I that's what happened?" Oh no, not Jorah, Tyrion. Oh, Tyrion. Okay, okay. They they get they get served their drinks and Varys goes to take his and Tyrion while he's going to take a sip of his Tyrion bumps his glass like as in a cheers and Oh, that's funny. Varys looks annoyed. I missed <laughs> that. That's great. Um but then, you know, Varys is like you can't go far and Tyrion goes, "I need to speak to someone with hair." <laughs> oh yeah, before that though, there's some uh, some other funny stuff. We uh, some some patrons of the whorehouse see the mother of dragons and the mother of dragons and Varys is like or uh, Tyrion says, "Oh, it appears you're not the only Targaryen supporter to Varys." And then oh, we hear yeah. them in the background saying, "We were just heading east to see you. I've got a dragon for you. How much to make him spit fire?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even pick up on that. That's funny. Which is hilarious. He's talking about his dick, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> So, Thank you uh, for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, so that that was really funny. And it's at this moment where we see Jorah seeing the the Danny whore, and he turns back towards his drink, just utterly distraught and like on the brink of tears. Literally, his whole face is like spasming. And uh, that's when varies. Or maybe it's I can't remember if it's Varys or Tyrion. One of them says, "Someone who inspires priests and whores is worth taking seriously," and that's a very good, important point, um, important sentiment because it echoes what Varys had said before: someone with the right name, someone who can inspire, you know, make the high the lords, lords fear, yeah. cower in fear. Someone who has the love of the people, 
you know and that's that's what the uh, what Danny is she's inspiring whores and priests you know the the fire um the 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 red woman we just met the priestess of Relore and this whore it's just funny like it's really good yeah if you can inspire priests and whores yeah some you know the two classes of people that are typically diametrically opposed to each other um you are a powerful person you know thought that was very a very so. important line yes um so Tyrion, you know he's curious about the the mother of dragons horrors but then his eyes kind of focus on um a dark-haired horror that strangely a little bit resembles shay for the a most little part. bit yeah a little bit and so he starts talking to her and she's like you don't have any money and he's like hinting that he's a Lannister. Yeah, like just you know? give away your identity, dude. Yeah, like I always pay my debts. I'm well, I'm known, well known for it. For it. <laughs> and she's like, whatever. Until quite recently, I was one of the richest men in the world. <laughs> and she laughs at that and he goes, who needs wealth when you can make a woman laugh? Yeah, I love that sentiment. And then, you know, so they, they kind of keep their little banter going. And then he looks back at the mother of dragons whore. Mm -hmm. And she goes, you want her. They all want her. They all want to fuck a queen. That's because they've never met a queen. <laughs> and she's like, whatever. Shut up, <laughs> You're just saying that. He's like, no, no, no. His sister is a queen and she's a fucking bitch. Yeah. And he goes, you know, quite truthfully, I would have picked you basically out of everybody in this room. She's like, why? Because you have a skeptical mind. Love that line. Me too. It's like you can tell that you have some intelligence about you. And I mean, she's a pretty girl too. She's pretty and clearly has some type of intelligence. Like she can hold a conversation and kind of call his bluff basically. Right. Yeah. So it's showing that Tyrion is also attracted to maybe like intelligence and not just horse yeah true <laughs> definitely we know that he's you know married a whore fallen in love with a whore and i don't think shay was all that intelligent but i don't know <laughs> i don't I, I don't think we got the opportunity in the show to see like to dig deep because she was intelligent enough to never really give away where she was from. Yeah, the whore like definitely likes his response about the skeptical mind. Wins her over. She's like, all right, then. All let's, right, go let's go do it. We're going to have to wash you first. <laughs> she grabs him by the hand and... He's like, I, I'm sorry. I can't. Can't. <laughs> can't. <laughs> of course you can. You're shy. He's like, no, I can't. Believe me, no one is more shocked than I am. What <laughs> I will I do passes. in my spare time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So funny. Go for a piss. That's a start. And he just kind of like runs off and she's like, fuck, what the hell? There goes all my That's money. Weird. This is awkward. <laughs> yeah. And then Varys like notices that Tyrion's gone and jumps to his feet. Yeah. And then it cuts over to Tyrion, who we have come to know he likes to piss off things like yes, the bridge I, I and the, the wall. Yes, I made the same connection. Okay, good. I thought that was funny. Yeah. He's, it's the same sentiment. He wants to piss off the wall. He wants to piss off the bridge in Volantis. Yeah. And then Jorah sneaks up behind him. Yep, he thinks it's Varys at first. He's like, hold on, you know. Yeah, just, you know, 
I'm no need done. to worry. I was just taking a piss. Oh, I thought you were someone else. Show's <laughs> almost over. <laughs> Show's almost over. That was a good line. Um, and then, you know, obviously he gets wrapped in some rope and gets a gag put in his mouth. And, you know, he's like, I'm taking you to the queen. Yep. And I think, of course, Tyrion thinks he's going back to his sister. Right. Yeah, of course. But, you know, he's <laughs> so obviously I'm going, to, going to the queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you didn't have I to mean, kidnap me. That's that's basically my number three. Nice. That was my number one to dwarf oh. na- the dwarf napping. <laughs> the dwarf napping. Okay. Do you have any other notes you want to add then? Uh, no, I think we pretty much, uh, you know, covered it all pretty well. Okay. Nice. So what is your number three? My number three is a stupidity in desperation. Oh, okay. Which is basically just talking about Cersei looking for new allies in all the worst possible places. Okay. Which is uh, the High Sparrow. (laughs) Yes. So the High Septon is at Littlefinger's brothel, surrounded by scantily clad women representing the the seven gods. Is that Oliver dressed as the father? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) This is inherently blasphemous, I feel. (laughs) And uh, Oliver is playing the role, you have served us well, my son. Thank you, Father. He says, um, tell, you know, signifying that he's the, playing the Father. Which of the seven will you worship today? The maiden, always, always the maiden, the maiden, <laughs> and the stranger. And <laughs> kinky. Two is extra. Yeah, and he's like, yes, yes, yes. I know. Obviously, two's extra. It's just kind of funny, and uh, that made me laugh. And then uh, they're getting it set up, and the doors bust open. And Olivar's like, what are you doing? This establishment belongs to Lord Peter Baelish. You can't... Ah! As they imp slap him, basically. Imp slap! And uh, the the sparrows are like, you have profaned our faith. The faith of our fathers and forefathers. And they don't give a fuck when he says he's the high sept and they cut him off. And you're a sinner and you shall be punished. And then it cuts to his shame walk, basically. Yes, the walk of shame. Uh, yeah, getting... Paraded naked through the streets and beaten, foreshadowing Cersei's shame. They're whispering sinner to him and not shame. Right. Which I yeah, totally. Everybody's like sinner, sinner, sinner. They're whacking his hands away from covering up his dick. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's great. Uh, So yeah, pretty brutal. Foreshadowing Cersei's shame walk. This is like the little mini version that we get before we get the like the big one. For sure. And God, she's so stupid. So uh, he shows up to <laughs> to meet in front of uh, in to appear in front of Cersei, Pycelle, and Kyburn, and he's like obviously not stoked about it. It's got to be really embarrassing for him. He's like, "Your Grace, Grand Maester, Lord Tyrell." Uh, <laughs> it doesn't I, matter. Which I just thought was so funny. He's, uh, uh, you know, what do I, it I doesn't know what matter. To say. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, someone says, "Yeah, it doesn't matter." The uh, that's Kyburn. He Kyburn, says it doesn't right, matter because he's trying to figure out his name. 
because he's never seen him in the oh, small council that's before. What he was, that's what he was saying. I thought he was yeah. saying like, uh, I don't really know what to say right now about this no, situation. No, he was, because he was going around saying all their names and then he got to Kyburn and was like, uh, okay. and Kyburn's like, it doesn't matter. That's funny. <laughs> so I mis- I misunderstood that and it's, and it's less funny the way that it really is written, um, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was saying like, uh, like I don't really know how to explain this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it's still kind of funny. Doesn't matter that he's kind of like what my name is. I'm just the master of whispers. Almost better that way, probably. Yeah, as long as you just know not to fuck with me. Uh, that's all you need to know about me. So uh, he goes on to say that he was assaulted by this people calling themselves sparrows, and this is the first we hear of them. They humiliated me. They beat me. They left me naked and bleeding on the cobblestones. I'm lucky to be alive. <laughs> I love and, how uh, he says cobblestones. Yeah, yeah. And someone says, uh, I heard this assault began in Littlefinger's brothel. Um, Hi, Septon. This is a rather shocking thing to hear. Uh, I tend to both the highest born and the lowliest among us. Even prostitutes may earn the mercy of the mother. So you were ministering to the needs of these devout prostitutes, <laughs> which is funny considering we just heard um, someone who can, you know, speak to both prostitutes and priests is someone worth listening to. So this is kind of, you know, n- making a nod to how these are not two people that are typically in each other's company, prostitutes and priests, devout prostitutes. Yeah. Also the red priestess that we see in this episode, it was a prostitute. Was a whore, and is, right. And yeah, and now is a priestess. So. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. Lots of uh, juxtaposition of whores and priests in this in this episode. Oh, it's funny. And then Pycelle, a man's private affairs ought to stay private. Right. We know he enjoys his, prost- his prostitutes himself, right? Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so funny. Uh, they're like, what the fuck do you want from us, dude? He's like, justice. I want you to protect our faith by arresting these criminals and throwing them in the black cells. And I ask that you execute their leader, this so-called high sparrow. He's a threat to everything he we hold sacred. And uh, Cersei cuts him off and says, and where do I find this man, the High Sparrow? And like, she just doesn't have any idea how, what a threat he is, basically. She goes to see him and uh, Sir Marin is like, I don't think this is a good idea, Your Grace, foreshadowing that, yeah, it's a really fucking bad idea, Cersei. Um, So she asks the guy, where do we find the High Sparrow? And she's walking through this little arrow, this alleyway, like a... full of stench and disease and flies and it's just like you can hear them buzzing and she's like like pinching her nose basically to walk through i think she's has on that rag i think she has like lavender oil on the rag and they put it up against their face oh cool to, to um mask the smell right and i mean the whole of king's landing smells pretty bad like you can smell it from from miles away apparently right so this yeah, so particular Jelena alley has tells, to be oh you can sh- smell the shit from five miles away <laughs> yeah. so this particular alley must be really bad <laughs> funnily enough for sure so uh she finds this dude who's serving soup to the the poor people of king's landing and she's asking you know says that she's been informed that they could find the high sparrow here and where is he? And the guy's like, hi, Sparrow. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Like Lord Duckling or King Turtle. <laughs> kind of like Lord Snow, you know? Yeah. Still, it's it's meant to sound ridiculous. We're often stuck with the names our enemies give to us, like Lord Snow. 
or bastard of Winterfell, um, people yep. call him. So the notion that we're all equal in the eyes of the seven doesn't sit well with some. So they belittle me. And we reveal, we, it's revealed that he is the High Sparrow. Yes. So, uh, and he doesn't have shoes on. Right. And uh, she's like, why the fuck don't you have shoes? And do you remember what his explanation is? Um, I gave them away to someone who needed them more. I we tell them I'm that. no one special. And they think I'm special for telling them so. And Cersei seems like kind of impressed by him almost because she's like, perhaps they're right. You know, she seems strangely taken by the high sparrow. High sparrow. I'm like, she's so dumb. This guy's a lunatic. Yeah, he's freaking fanatic. And we can tell that in this moment as she's like kind of um, schmoozing with him a little. It's like she's really fucking desperate to find new allies who may be in positions of power. Like, oh, if they could take down the high sparrow in this fashion. Whoops. High Septon. Maybe he's a force to be reckoned with. So she's trying to like cozy up to him, get on his good good side. And she's um she she's trying to play both sides of the coin here, like like she's talking about how like the high the high septon is like um is you know, she doesn't agree with like the way that he behaves and, and things like that. Hypocrisy is a boil, lancing a boil is never pleasant. Right, yeah, it's so funny. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, she's she's basically he assumes that he's she's come to arrest him for the incident with the high sparrow, and she says it was pretty you know it was, it was a pretty unacceptable way to treat the chosen representative of the gods in this world, isn't it? And he's like, well, hypocrisy is a boil, and lancing a boil is never present pleasant. But uh, yeah, they could have been more careful with the blade, I guess. And she divulges that the High Septon came to see her today and doesn't want her to arrest him. He wants her to execute him. And uh, in a diplomatic manner, he's like, I wouldn't presume to know your thoughts on the manner. And I'm like, damn, this guy is slippery as fuck. Yeah, very slippery slimy. as fuck. And uh, she says that her, she basically she is aligning with him on this, that the high septon's behavior was corrosive as was his attitude and having a man like that reside in the sept eats away at the faith from the inside. So he now resides in the red keep dungeons instead. She jailed him. Um, which is kind of funny because this whole thing can be viewed through the lens of her living inside the red keep, having like a shitty person be the queen and manipulating the strings like the scene, pulling the strings behind the scenes of the Red Keep, um, eats away at the you know the 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 reputation of the crown. You could say from yeah, the inside, yeah, absolutely. And also, I mean, being incestuous with her brother, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is you know frowned upon from the you know from the religious perspective. Totally. So I'm like, uh, you can't play yeah. virtuous half the time with this guy, Cersei. <laughs> like, it's not going to fucking work. <laughs> No. You know, you can't play both sides of the uh, the game with him. So uh, sh this is when she says what she she says what basically Tommen quotes her on when he announces the partnership between the crown and the faith. Um, the faith and the crown are the two pillars that hold up this world. One collapses, so does the other. We must do everything necessary to protect one another. And I'm like, fuck, this is so dumb. Like, you're just setting yourself up like, right. for destruction. Somebody like pure in, in faith and morality as the High Sparrow thinks that he is, is going to eat you alive, Cersei. Like, you're such a fucking hypocrite. He's going to, like, obviously try to take you out. 
Yes. And I mean, we, we see her kind of unraveling because Cersei, like just going backtracking to when she's talking to Marjorie, she's like, since when does she go up to Marjorie and say like, you know, anything you need, I'm here for you. She's trying to like grasp onto power. Yeah, totally. And she's Wherever also she trying is. to like get in this guy's good graces. Cause she doesn't want to get like treated like the high Septon kind of, it seems like she sort of finds him as a threat maybe. And she's trying to like get on his good side. Uh, totally backfires. Which is funny Cause when, um, John and Stannis are talking, he suggests to John to send Sir Alistair over to East watch by the sea. And John says, you know, shouldn't I keep my enemies close? And Stannis goes something like, you know, who are, the man who said that didn't have very many enemies. <laughs> Taking a dig at the Godfather. Yeah, so Hilarious. she, um, I think, you know, maybe she views the High Sparrow as a threat, but also uh, um, she can leech herself on to gain some power. Yeah, And it's probably. almost kind of like one of those keep your enemies close. Yeah, definitely. Situations which your friends close, but your enemies closer. It backfires and it does backfire with John as well, keeping Sir Alistair at Castle Black. He ends up killing John. So kind of little parallels there. Right. So uh, Stannis is right. You know, whoever said that didn't have many enemies. It's a really fucking dumb idea to give your enemies the key to your house, basically. Fucking stupid. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, I think that uh, George R. R. Martin beats uh, Francis Coppola Ford. Francis Ford Coppola. I can't remember what his name is. The <laughs> AOA, A Song of Ice and Fire. Game of Thrones beats Godfather here in this uh, this philosophy. I think. Yes. Interesting. Paper awesome. beats rock. So yeah, that pretty much wraps up um, my number. three three that Cersei is stupid in desperation here and is just making all the wrong choices for trying to keep her power and setting up everything for destruction. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what's your number two? My number two is becoming no one. Ooh, nice. Felt that it was important to have Arya at some point in my top five here good um so we we see aria she's asleep and the wave comes in and starts wanting to kind of you know she she clearly doesn't like aria and she goes you walk in here with a coin you never earned whose value you don't respect and i thought that was (laughs) a very interesting line though because we mm. we learn here that most people that have those iron coins have earned them. And Jack yeah, and Hagar gave it to Arya. So she didn't earn it. It was given to her. Whose value you don't respect. Well, I think Arya respects it to a certain per- you know, point. As Arya as- let Jacken out of that fucking cage. She earned that thing. Oh, that's true. That is true. The wave just doesn't know what that. she's talking about. Yeah, or doesn't know that she actually did earn it. Right, Arya saved the life of a faceless man, which is like that's right. I actually crazy. totally forgot about that. Jack and Hagar was in that with Rorge. Rorge was and, it? Yeah, Rorge and Biter. <laughs> and Biter, yeah. Um, you know whose value you don't respect. Well, this girl just has a bug up her ass. Yeah, and Arya doesn't. How can she respect it if she doesn't even understand it? You know what I mean? She exactly. doesn't even know what the fuck is going on that was my note is like, well, she doesn't, I think she has a certain level of respect because 
she clearly saw the, the captain's reaction when she gave him the coin right and she saw and the value of the Bravos. yeah she saw the value of the operation too like she traveled across the narrow sea to seek out the the keeper of this coin because she saw the value and she respected what the guys like was capable of and stood for yeah but i mean to the waif's point i don't think aria respects it to the level that uh, a true faceless man respects it sure sure um so who are you you know, and she's like, what? And I love the way Maisie Williams says what in that scene. She's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then who, are she, who are you? And then Aria clues in. She goes, no one. And whack. whack. Cunt. <laughs> Another houndism. Yes. Right? That's like totally second totally. episode in a row that she's emulating the hound. Yeah. A lie. A sad little lie sad little lie and she, she whacks her again and you know Arya's like if you do that again basically you're gonna be sorry because i have needle tucked away under my right. bed here and she goes to grab grab she goes, for who it. are you you're about to find out and she grabs needle <laughs> <laughs> oh i love her um and then jack and agar comes in and basically stops this nonsense yep and you know a girl is not ready and she goes i am ready and he For goes, what? how is it that no one came to be surrounded by Arya Stark's things? Because he goes through all of, you know, Arya Stark's Arya clothes, Stark's Arya Stark's silver, Arya Stark's sword. Um, you know, this is a good point <laughs> to Arya. <laughs> right, like it looks like you're Arya Stark. Pretty sure you're Arya Stark. You <laughs> are saying that you're nobody, but you're sitting here with all of Arya Stark shit around you. So clearly you're Arya Stark. Right. And that's when so it like sort is, of hits Arya that oh I have to like get oh, rid of everything like, like shed. I actually have to become nobody I have to give away my identity essentially yeah I have to shed my uh, yeah my identity so the next the next scene with her is what I kind of dubbed as like actually starting the process of becoming no one so she has her clothes and she's wrapping it around a rock she throws. She doesn't really hesitate too much to throw her clothes in the water. Mm -hmm. She watches him sink. She hesitates a little to to throw the silver down into the water. Fuck yeah. She um, hesitates even longer with the iron coin because she's flipping it because she used to flip it as she was saying her list of people. Oh, right. But that's Arya's list. It. You know, she has to abandon the list too. Yep. So I felt like the coin throwing the coin into the water was throwing away her list good good call i like that um so she hesitates even longer and then the stark music cues in mm. and that's and when she pulls out needle. the sword yeah and her acting in this is so amazing her eyes welling up she has like the prettiest biggest little brown eyes you could ever ask for and, like <laughs> awesome eyebrows and they're just welling with tears i mean they are full of tears and she hits just, me every time man it's a powerful moment i know i get welled up just watching it because she's remembering you know her and john have a really special bond i know that it goes way more in depth in the books about their bond like messing up her hair and calling her little sister yep. and john gave her the sword i think yeah, it's she also, can't get rid of it she can't do that no and i it harkens back to what was it season What's the episode? I think it's season four, episode one, where they melt ice. Two swords. Yeah. Two swords. 
Yeah, and we we lose the Stark sword at the very beginning, but at the end of that episode, we found needles, so another Stark sword like comes back into play. Right. So it kind of harkened a little bit back for to me to that episode of finding needle again. She's already lost it once, and so she she can't get rid of it. She just can't bring herself to do it. She's and crying so she as she it. holds it. You know. <laughs> Yeah. And, yeah, and she hides it. And this foreshadows how she can never truly become no one. She exactly. stashes needle in a rock wall for later, you know, and she's only becoming no one for now. And maybe in this moment, she's trying to become a true faceless man. Like she's not going to throw it into the into the water. So it's lost forever, but she's going to bury it. So it's like she's letting it go. But she also knows that it's safe. If that makes sense. Yeah, she's got a backup. You know, it's like it's there if she needs it. It's kind of like um, she's like sort of putting on the face of no one, you know, like almost pretending to be no one. Like in the game of faces, for instance, like it's all lies, right? No one for her is almost a lie itself. It's kind of like the way that Sansa is acting as well when she acts all um, diplomatic with Roose Bolton. Yeah, Sansa absolutely. is playing the game here, but she's she's never really no one. And the the fact that she keeps needle symbolizes that that it's still in her subconscious, just waiting <clears throat> to come back out, waiting to be retrieved. For sure. Yeah, needle is Arya Stark in this in this uh, moment, you know, being stashed away for later. So this whole process of throwing away Arya Stark stuff, like clearly whether Jock and Hagar knows or does not know that she's hid needle and not thrown needle in the water. It seems that this act of purging Arya Stark, Arya Stark's items is basically kind of, kind of allowing her to move up to the next level. So she's been sweeping the floors for weeks and now she's gotten to move up to washing dead bodies. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, And I found this interesting because Aria is always kind of one step ahead. She's thinking like, okay, well, I'm done sweeping. I want to do something else next. And they're like, nope, you're going to sweep because you've got to serve. Now she gets up to the next level, essentially, and she's washing dead bodies. And her first question is, what do we do after we wash them? Right, what do we do next? <laughs> and she's not getting the point of they will move you along this path as they see fit and as it as you progress as nobody or no one. Right. So she's anxious to become a faceless man. She's anxious to become no one, but she's not willing to put in the time or effort to follow the steps and the steps and accept them and be in the moment. And uh, interestingly with, with Jack and Hagar, I feel like he knows this, you know, but he has some sort of insight knowing that, that Arya Stark as Arya Stark is going to be important, but that she needs the the skills that he has. So I think that overall, Jacken is sort of making an exception with Arya, letting her in, giving her the knowledge, but but knowing that she's not really nobody, no, that she's not really no one. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah, because yeah. he lets her go at the end, and you know, calls off the waif and everything like that. So like he makes a conscious decision to let Arya Stark go with the knowledge of the faceless men and everything. I think that was the plan the whole time that he knew that she could never become no one because she has a destiny that's bigger 
you know, and more identity based and that he, uh, he wants to help her get there for some reason or another. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see that for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but yeah, so that that was my number two. Do you have any other notes you want to add? <laughs> Just that uh, after uh, after Arya asks, "What do we do with them after we wash them?" The waif is so fucking pissed that I think you can <laughs> you can even hear her exhale like. <sighs> <sighs> God, you're an annoying little bitch. <laughs> yeah, it's just fucking hilarious. Awesome. Yeah, I noticed that too. She's just like, if looks could kill. Yep, totally. So, uh, All right. my number two is John makes stark mistakes. Okay. And uh, that he's honorable to a fault. Stannis comes to see him, and. Uh, it's it's weird that John wants Ollie to remain there because uh, one day he might command. Like, what the fuck are you talking about, John? You're getting way ahead of yourself here. Yeah, he's just he's some like little 10. shit, you know. Yeah, like what what do you see in him that makes you think that he could possibly be a leader? I don't see any leader traits. Maybe because he was quick to when they were uh, sparring out that he what he stepped up and wanted to fight and. You know, he said, I'm, you know, well, I was the best bowsman in my hamlet. Yeah, but you know, there's so more to being did... a leader than being able to shoot a bow. <laughs> no, I know. But the fact that he had bravery to stand up to adult men and want to spar with them, like as yeah, a, a young boy, maybe John just sees some type that. of potential, <laughs> some type of potential. Because, I mean, when John became Mormont's steward, John wasn't that young. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, maybe he was in the books, but. Not from a show perspective. Yeah. Ollie is much younger than John is in this, you know, show. So Definitely. I think maybe John is seeing a little bit of bravery and just thinks grooming Ollie. Oh, that's pretty cute. <laughs> maybe it's also that Ollie is an orphan and John feels. Oh, like of, a kinship kind of thing. Yeah. Like maybe a little bit responsible for that. Cause True. it was the wildlings that he was with that killed well, no, it wasn't the wildlings that he was with. Why do I always? It was. Oh yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I always. Like, it's just that after as... John. After John left them. Exactly. Okay, they, that's they, what they met up with the Thens, and that was their first like that's slaughter right. mission. So I think maybe he feels a little bit like responsible for Ollie. Sure. So maybe while it's not like oh he's going to lead one day, it's more of like I'm going to take this kid under my wing and groom him as as best as I can to be successful in the Night's Watch. Right, yeah. So it's not really a safe place for a young kid to be. Definitely. <laughs> so um, Stannis asks if he's considered his offer, offer, and John starts off like being diplomatic and making like a concession to Stannis, which is something important that you want to do when you're like having a debate with somebody um, or you're disagreeing with them. You want to make some type of connection with them so that they feel like you're on the same level to some degree, so that it's not like sure. A horrible disagreement basically so he says you do me great honor you know acknowledging that stannis is doing something nice for him he says all of my life i've wanted to be john stark say the word and you will be but i have to refuse you <laughs> yeah i'm lord commander of the night's watch my place is here um and stannis is like what? are you fucking kidding me like I'm but he was like chance. all my life i wanted to be john stark yeah yeah it's like and that just reckons back to pretty much everything that we've already talked right. about his on whole the character is based on on his bastard bastard yes. you know and he's refusing it 
Right. Because he's honorable. Right. So Stannis is like, I'm giving you the chance to avenge your family, to take back the castle where you grew up, to rule in the rule the north. You know, and John's uh, like, I, I wish I could fight beside you. Believe me, I do. But I swore a sacred vow. I pledged my life to the Night's Watch. And uh, Stannis says, you're as stubborn as your father and as honorable. And, and John's like, I can imagine no higher praise. <laughs> I didn't mean it, didn't as, mean praise. it as a praise. <laughs> Honor got your father killed. Uh, but if your mind's made up, I won't try and dissuade you. And Stannis is like shocked by this uh, by this revelation that John isn't going to join him. And uh, like, he why also want to rule the North. Yeah, he see he uh, he sees his death coming from a mile away. Like you said, he he tells Stannis or he, he suggests to ship Alistair away. Um, you know, honor got your father killed. He says, "Ship Stan, ship Alistair away to Greyguard or whatever, Greywatch," and uh, he basically, for, like he he makes the call, like he calls it from a mile away that Alistair is going to get John killed, essentially. Um, so, Stannis gets up to walk out, and he's like, "Your Grace, how long do you pl- plan to stay at Castle Black?" And Stannis kind of responds like sort of pissed off are you bored of us already you know and uh john has a very diplomatic answer you know like you saved us from Raider. we'll never forget that but it's a question of survival we can't continue to feed your men and wildling prisoners indefinitely winter is coming <laughs> yeah and stannis uh totally gets it basically he's like i know it you know we march on winterfell within the fortnight uh before the snow traps us here and he basically lets John decide what to do with the wildlings. He says maybe that he could, you know, get some more sense out of Tormund than he got from Mance. And he says that I assume the, the most of the Night's Watch would rather see the wildlings dead. And John's like, yeah, pretty much. Most of the brothers want to do that. <laughs> and Ollie's kind of like listening from the background. He says there's, there's little love for the free folk here. And that's when he, when Stannis suggests sending Alistair away because he's uh, he he is John has enemies in Castle Black still big time. Give him command of Eastwatch by the Sea. You know, I, <laughs> that's when the Godfather reference comes up. I think this is the first time we hear about Eastwatch by the Sea. Yeah, I think so. So that I mean that plays a huge role in season seven. So it's yeah, the first totally. time that Eastwatch we've heard 7. of a castle called Eastwatch by the Sea. Yep. So um, that's when Germ. Or maybe D&D take a stab at the Godfather by t- subverting the keep your friends close and your enemies closer trope. And <laughs> turns yeah. out they're right because everybody who keeps their enemies close gets killed and shit. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then uh, Stannis leaves and Davos steps up to speak to John. He sees something in you. Might not be apparent from his tone, but it's the truth. He believes in you. And uh, John's like, I'm sorry I disappointed him. The king's a complicated man, but he wants to do what's right for the seven kingdoms. As long as he's ruling them, he's the one true king. He has a blood right to that throne. And, you know, John says again, I mean, they're sworn to stay clear of the politics and everything. And this is when Davos gets real in it. Like, he, it shows how he's an intellectual, like Sam. Like, he's really smart. He's like, a, how does the Night's Watch foul go again? And asks Ollie, and I bet you've memorized it since you got here. And he starts reciting it, and he's like, that part right there, you know, the shield that guards the realms of men, you know, the realms of men. Just like when uh, Sam 
brought uh, Gilly to Maester Aemon, the realms of men. That means them as well, you know, the wildlings. That's who we're sworn to protect. So Davos goes on, I'm not a learned man, but the best way to help the most people might not be sitting at a frozen castle at the edge of the world. It just might mean wading in the muck, getting your boots dirty and doing what needs to be done, foreshadowing the Battle the of Battle the Bastards. Of Bastards. Yeah, where he's yes. in the muck, you know. <laughs> like almost getting suffocated by it. He's like getting sunken down and people yeah. are trampling him. And I oh, can't wait for that episode. So cool. Oh, my God. They made that shot up on the spot, too. Like they couldn't do all the stunts they wanted to do because of the rain and the mud. And Dave. Oh, really? Dave, yeah. Dave and Dan had the idea on the spot. Like, oh, maybe we could cre- create this like pile up of bodies where John almost gets buried alive. And they did that's it. That's insane. And, yeah. Oh, my God. That's so cool. Because that's like one of the most intense scenes in that episode. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, sometimes magic happens on the spot, you know. So Davos goes on to say, you know, as long as the Boltons rule the North, the North will suffer. And uh, just one man's opinion. And he's just on point as usual. Love it. You know, so then uh, Davos or then John is presiding over the hall at Castle Black and making some announcements and uh, it, we learn that Maester Eamon is not feeling well. And I'm like, oh, no, because we know he's going to die soon. And that fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I have that note, too. It's the worst. Take good care of him, he tells Sam. Brothers, as you all know too well, it's long past time to dig a new latrine pit. First, Builder Yarwick and I have decided to appoint a latrine captain to oversee this crucial task. And everybody thinks it's going to be Alistair. You know, and even Alistair's looking at him like you yeah, fucking bastard, you know. And uh, instead, he chooses Brian, so it seems like a good job for a ginger. <laughs> it's so funny because our neighbor across the street is named Brian, and he's a ginger. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, yeah, I just thought that was a fucking hilarious line, and everybody laughs, you know. And, and then he, he says, Sir Alistair, and uh, silence, you know, and Alistair's all nervous. And John, um, Instead, you know, gives him some praise, a moment of diplomatic intelligence. You have more experience than any other ranger, Castle Black. You've proved your valor many times over while defending the wall from the wildling attack. I name you first ranger, you know, and everybody's cheering and it's well-deserved, you know, like Alistair yeah. is the right choice for this position, I would say. And uh, it shows John um, is w- o- willing to overlook personal differences to make the most proper strategic and tactical decisions um which is just a good good character trait for a leader as well um whereas you know alistair just can't get over his hatred of john you know and it even makes him make bad decisions like john says we need to fill in the tunnel you know and just because john's saying it alistair is like fuck no we're not doing yeah, that." yeah if anyone else would have said it they would have filled the tunnel right it's the smartest plan and making Alistair first ranger is the smartest plan. And John goes through with it despite their personal differences, which shows you what, how much of a better leader he is than Alistair or Alistair who um, makes decisions uh, based on personal stuff, which is really stupid. Totally. So uh, next he announces that he's going to give Lord Janos command of gray guard and Janos is not fucking having it at all. And no, because he, he wants to stay hidden behind Sir Alistair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, people start freaking out. I was charged with the defense of King's Landing when you were soiling your swaddling clothes. Keep your ruin, you know, and their uproar. And 
Sam lays down the law and gets everybody to calm down. All right, all right, enough of that. Which is just fucking hilarious (laughs) that little, like, Sam is commanding the situation a little bit. And John, you mistake me, my lord. That was a command, not an offer. Pack your arms and armor, say your farewells, and ride for Greyguard. I will not go meekly off to freeze and die. Give it to one of the fools who cast a stone for you. I will not have it. Do you hear me, boy? I will not have it. You know? And John is just like, are you refusing to obey my order? You know, <laughs> you can stick your order up your bastard ass. Ugh, and at that asshole. moment, it's like, oh, you fucked up, Janice. Take Lord Janice outside. And this next line pissed off a lot of book readers. Ollie, bring me my sword. Which is, they they changed the line from the book, which everybody apparently wanted to hear, because there's a big internet uproar. (laughs) Ed, fetch me a block. That's the line from the books. Ed, fetch me a block. Okay. So it's a little less on, on the nose than bring me my sword. And also it's giving Ed some spotlight, as opposed to stupid Ollie, which everybody hates, basically. Yeah, you know? that so, makes sense. <laughs> so they took away cool Ed and something like artistic and like, you know, sort of um, like, yeah, just an artistic way to say I'm going to kill you. Not so on on point. Yeah, fetch me a block. You're going to die as opposed to I'm going to cut you like, give me my sword. Like, yeah, it's just so so on, on the nose with that. So book re- readers really mad about this. Whatever, you know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and then it looks like Sir Alistair is going to try to intervene for a minute. He's standing up in, in the way, but nope. <laughs> he, he steps, steps aside. aside. Yeah. And Janice kind of and freaks little out. little Janice is behind him and you don't even see him at first. Right. Yeah, and then yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, peekaboo. Peekaboo. <laughs> you have hilarious. And uh, so they grab Janice and start dragging him out. And he's like, you can't do this. Get your hands off me, scum, all of you. If the boy thinks he can frighten me, he's mistaken. Yes, very mistaken. (laughs) I love the shot of John sitting up at the table all by himself, too. And it's he takes a drink, like one last drink. But we're looking at his shadow and not him taking the drink. I thought that was really artistic. Nice. Yeah, I love stuff like that. And uh, Janice is like, I have friends, important friends in the capital. And I'm like, well, they're not here right now, Janice. And they're not going to be able to intervene. He's always talking about King's Landing. And it's right. like, dude, it's like no that's over, cares. dude. You got, you know, removed from King's Landing. That part of your life is done. Just, you know, let Plus, it be. King's Landing is like thousands of miles away. Right. Like, yeah. Your, your powerful friends in King's Landing aren't going to be able to intervene in the time it takes to drag you to the block. <laughs> you know? And also, they can't really intervene anyways because it's the night's watch right totally yeah like shut they the don't fuck take up, part Janice. in political matters so it's like no one fucking cares that you have friends at king's landing tens of thousands of miles away right he's just all bluster it's so fucking annoying and uh you'll see you know <laughs> and so they drag him down and throw him over the block and uh oh man john mirroring mirroring ned in the pilot episode here time for a beheading you know yes so neil janice kneels and this is when it gets serious <laughs> unsheaths long claw and he puts his hands the same way ned stark did on ice when oh, he beheaded the deserter beautiful beautiful i didn't notice that that's yeah great. like both hands on, on the, the top, top of, the of hill. it that's great yeah. if you have any last words my lord now's the time and uh, Janos breaks like fine china, just fucking <laughs> just smashes in his smithereens. I was wrong. 
I was wrong. You're the Lord Commander. Commander. We'll serve you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I've always just been afraid. Yes, we know that. Yeah. You pissed yourself during the battle. And John, like for a second, he like he stops, and it looks like he may be listen, like may listen to him. Well, he closes his eyes. Right. Like like uh, finding his center and. But it, but in reality, he this I've, I'm afraid. I've always been afraid. I can't fucking send you to Greywatch then to lead a project because you're not reliable. You're too scared. You were hiding in the larder, like Sam said. Like Janos, just like if he may, he could have said something else that may have tr- like, like helped his case. But being afraid, saying that that's not helping you at the Night's Watch. We need men at the Night's Watch who are gonna hold their posts and do what they're told. And you're disobeying orders on top of that. It, John's hands are tied here. Like, he doesn't have any yeah. choice. He has to execute him. And he, like, a, like rage flashes across his face. And he lifts that sword up and slams it down so fast. And his head just comes right off. And the guys behind him are just even like, oh, man, that was great. <laughs> kind of crazy. Yeah. This is an important development point for John, too, because we've seen John in the situation a couple of times where he needs to, like, make a decision to take a life. And he usually has let them go. Right. Like a grit. A grit. So we know that John has a hard time doing this. Mm -hmm. And for a moment when I first watched watched it the first time i thought maybe he wasn't gonna do it yeah same here and uh, because like he hesitates and then like you said then all of a sudden he gets this flash of rage across his face and just does it and it actually kind of reminded me of when rob beheaded the car stark guy yeah rickard car stark like he they hesitate and then they have to fill themselves with a little bit of rage and confidence to get it done because there's a part of them that just the starks don't necessarily they don't like do it. doing they, that. Yeah, it's their duty, you know, like they have to do it, have to do it. And I find it funny because uh, when the Hound is talking to Sansa and he's saying to her, you know, like your father loved to kill people. Killing is the best thing there is. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I, that may be true to an extent with the Starks, but I really truly feel that out of all of the houses, like Ned and Rob and John if any Least characters truly don't, yeah, don't really like that aspect of being a lord, it's them. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, totally. So, so he chops off his head, and then he stands there for a few seconds, and it's like all these emotions are running across his face. Kit Harrington does a brilliant job here performing this scene. He looks angry and exhilarated and sad all at once, and um, Stannis is watching from afar. And as John turns and looks up, they make eye contact and <laughs> Stannis has like the most epic nod. He's like, good, a job well done, you know, and then yeah, walks he's a, off. He's impressed. He's sees, like, he did it. Yeah, he sees John's potential as just like a great, powerful leader. Um, and like you said, it reminded you of, of Rob. This is the classic Stark mistake that leads to death. Every Stark that we've seen behead somebody ends up dying just a few episodes later. <laughs> You know, Ned, the pilot, and then eight episodes later dies in episode nine. Rob cuts off Rickard Rickard Karstark's head and ends up dying a few episodes later. John beheads Janice Slint a few episodes later, gets stabbed by, uh, you know, all the guys for the watch and killed. So it's just, uh, you know, 
John is making stark mistakes <laughs> and uh, being honorable to a fault and uh, it gets him killed basically, you know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty brutal. So that's uh, my number two. Awesome. How about your number one? What do you got? My number one is Moat Kalen. Nice. So I liked the scene because again, Littlefinger, I, I like the whole journey with Littlefinger and Sansa. Um, it's one of my favorite story arcs in the whole series because Sansa at the beginning of this series is so delusional and oh, yeah. immature and just wrapped up in the songs and the knights and regalia. Yeah, she has no freaking clue what real life is like. <laughs> and Fast forward to season seven, she's a force to be reckoned with. And there's always one line that always stands out with me with Sansa in season seven. And um, they're talking about Cersei. And I think she's talking to John and he goes, you know, it sounds like you almost admire her. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and she goes, I learned a great deal from her. And I thought that that was an interesting sentiment because she, with going back to Littlefinger and Sansa, she actually is listening to people. All right. And interestingly, she keeps her enemies close with uh, Littlefinger, too. She keeps him close by before having him executed. Yes, she does. It Absolutely. doesn't backfire for her. <laughs> no. In fact, it's it's keeping Littlefinger close that l makes him let his guard down, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So... She goes, that smoke, Kaylin. And he goes, you've been here before. And she goes, yeah, on her way down to King's Landing with my father and Arya. And she kind of mumbles it like it's really hard for her to say. Right. You know, she's like my father and Arya. Like, I don't really want to talk about that. And so she kind of puts the pieces together that they're going back to Winterfell. And she's like, that marriage proposal wasn't for you. Yep. It hits her. She realizes it. And, you know, Littlefinger's like, no, it wasn't. And she's like, the Boltons have Winterfell. <laughs> and she's like, Sophie Turner does a great job here. She's like, the Bol you can't marry me to the Boltons. He, he murdered my brother. He betrayed my family. He serves the Lannisters. And she's, you know, fretting. She's, it's she's freaking and, out. Yeah. yeah, like, what the fuck? Like, I'm right. supposed to trust you and you're going to sell me to Roose Bolton? Like, why don't you just sign my death certificate right, right. now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, and, and he goes, well, for now, like, he serves the Lannisters for now. And she's like, I can't like, you, I can't do this. And he's like, you're a Stark. Dying your hair doesn't change that. He's a traitor, a murderer. He goes, you're not marrying Roose Bolton. And she's like, what? You're marrying his son and heir, Ramsay. She's like, you can't make me. I'll starve myself. I will die before I have to go there. I will burn our house to the ground right? before I let you take him. <laughs> Same kind of sentiment. But I found it really interesting because I think, I don't think, so like, well, it's her home. I don't think Sansa ever expected to go back to Winterfell. But I also don't think she ever really wanted to go back to Winterfell. Because that's like all of her memories of all of the people that have died are there. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, totally. She misses it. 
when she's building it, it up could be the too veil, painful to go there. It's too painful to live there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like while it's her home and she belongs there. And yeah, I mean, she goes, I don't expect I'll ever go back when she's talking to Robin. Yep. That was a powerful moment too, with Peter like saying, you, you belong there, you know, always it's your home. Always like you're a Stark, you know? Yeah. So this is, you know, kind of important. And so, you know, I won't force you to do anything. Don't you know by now how much I care for you? Say the word now and then we'll turn the horses around. But listen, you know, basically, like, you've got to stop running at some point. Like, you have been a bystander to tragedy ever since they executed your father. Stop you being a bystander. Being a bystander. Yeah, experience some tragedy firsthand. <laughs> stop yeah, being a bystander. Raped, experience it firsthand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> stop running you know basically there's no justice in the world unless we make it you loved your family avenge them so this is little finger playing sansa and totally flipping the situation to now put the decision into her hands he is so, so manipulating she thinks her. yeah well to i i'm saying he's manipulating her into he just said we'll turn the horses around i won't make you do anything but now i'm gonna flip it on you and now you're gonna have to basically make this decision yourself and stop running you know so he's pinning her into a corner to where she feels like it's her decision but she still doesn't really have a choice in the matter if that makes any sense yeah 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 exactly so it's he's manipulating her to make the decision that he wants her to make, but feeding it to her on a platter of do it to avenge your family. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I don't think he would have turned the horses around if she didn't want to go basically is what I'm saying. So he had to figure out a slimy way for her to make the decision on her own to continue this journey with her. Yeah. At least to make her think she's making the decision on her own. <laughs> yes. It's his decision, but she's being manipulated to make it feel like it's her decision to do it, to avenge her family. Yep. That's the best way to, to, you know, make people do stuff is make them think that it's their decision. Yes. Like my two year old. Exactly. <laughs> It has to be his decision. Um, So we do like reverse psychology on him all the time. Nice. It's funny how uh, Baelish, they're like, Mo Kalen is like a bit shabby, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty fucked. Just a bit. Yeah, It's like sinking into the ground. (laughs) Yeah, just disease ridden and everything. For sure. So this is my number one because... I think the biggest revelation for me in season seven was when Littlefinger got executed. And I will just say, I know we're going to talk about that when we get to that episode, but I totally called it that Littlefinger was going to (laughs) die. Nice. Like that episode, I looked at my husband. I'm like, I think, I think Littlefinger is is done for. And he's like, there's no way that Littlefinger is done for. And I'm like, there's no way that Sansa and Arya are at, are going to kill each other. And so when they brought Peter into the room and she's, you know, or when they brought Arya into the room and she's listing off all the crimes, I looked at my husband. I'm like, she's talking about Littlefinger. Oh, brutal. <laughs> and he's like, no way. And I'm like, 
he's dying. He's dying right now. Like this scene, this he's going to die. Oh my and I God. was right. <laughs> so I, I think that's why I like this story arc. I also feel that Sansa's character is probably one of the few that grows the most. Oh yeah. Um, total transformation. Like, if not the most. So I, and it's just, it's important. <laughs> Littlefinger's influence on Sansa is essential to her development. Yeah, I would say that her character develops the most out of anybody in the show, probably. Yeah, I do too. Maybe Arya is a close second. Yeah, because she's already like, she kills true. somebody in King's Landing, you know what I mean? Like in season one. That's true. Oh yeah, that's true. I totally forgot about that one. She's Staff a killer the- from right off the bat, whereas Sansa is like a naive little girl and transforms into like about lord singing lady. songs and knitting and sewing yeah. and total transformation from from sansa yeah for sure so i i use this as my number one because her her transformation is the best and she also is the one that execute or gives the order to execute the main person that sent the storyline into orbit yeah, yeah. Totally. totally so yeah totally. nice good one what's your number one my number one was the dwarf napping so let's move oh, on yes. to our notes okay awesome my notes first starts off from the beginning of the episode where we're inside the house of black and white and we see tears dripping from one statue we see another lion god a ram god fiery heart of relore i think the tear stripping was from the mother mm, yeah i was wondering i was gonna ask you nice yeah so i'll go with that i, I kind of thought probably the same because she shows the mercy oh yeah mother's mercy right um then we see the werewood face and then we see the poison pool and uh aria is sweeping and that dude drinks the poison water and goes off to pray to the mother and dies and uh she's just sweeping and sweeping and it didn't come here to sweep floors no why come then came to learn how to be a faceless man a man teaches a girl <laughs> ballard Harris. all men must serve faceless men most of all <laughs> yes that's such a that's such a great line so uh she's claims she wants to serve but our or jack and sees right through her you just want to serve yourself a girl wants to serve herself here we serve the many-faced god to serve well, a girl must become no one. And this is the first time that Arya has, is facing that fact. And she's like, well, which one is the many-faced god? You know, I see the stranger, I see the drowned god, I see the werewood face. There is only one god. A girl knows his name, and all men know his gift. All men must die, you know? <laughs> and uh, she knows his name because, like, she told Beric, the one god is death. God right? of death. She death. knows his name, death. All men know his gift, death. <laughs> and then the guy who drinks the poison's dead and gets carried off. And she's like, where the fuck are they taking him? And the waif ignores her <laughs> as she continues to do throughout the episode. Uh, anything you want to say about that intro scene or you want to move on to your um, next note? Not really. I, I was curious maybe that, do you think all the other gods represent the same thing and they're just worshiped different ways in this world inside of that's that's the way that the uh the the many-faced god people like um um devotees interpret it that all these other gods are just representing the one true god different aspects different ways of worshiping it yeah 
But the, okay, awesome. the, uh, the house of black and white is full of idols for every god, basically. Like you can go to one corner if you worship the old gods. You can go to another statue in there if you rep if you're like Dothraki and you But they really all the just serve the god of death, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, that's yeah. Okay, okay. That's what the awesome. that's the way that cool. the the many fa- the the uh, the house of black and white people like spin it. Like they're all just the same god. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that. The many faces are all of the, uh, you know, the seven, the old gods, the new gods. The weirwood. Yeah, those are all the many faces of of the one true god. Okay. Makes Which, sense now. Cool, cool. Um, so you want to move on to your next note? Sure. Next so notes? my next set of notes is when the Boltons move into Winterfell. Nice. Yeah, same here. They're rebuilding it. Yeah, and they're, you know, they're bringing supplies in and... Reek sees the flayed men hanging and triggers his PTSD. Triggers and his was, memories of burning those two boys, you think, that okay, he hung? Okay, yeah, that was my question. I said, do you think it reminds him of the boys that he burned? I think so. And hung them from the from the doors. And probably also about his role in getting all the men at um, Moat Kalen flayed. Yeah. But more so hanging the boys like that after they were burned. Yeah, so then we we transition over to Ramsey stuffing his face. Oh my god, he's so like psychopathically enthusiastic about eating here. Yeah, sausages, by Mm. the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he's telling his father about uh, Lord Kerwin not paying his taxes. And basically Lord Kerwin said, you know, the Warden of the North should always be a Stark and he'd be damned if he kissed a traitor's boots. Right. And Bolton was like, you went there to collect taxes, like not to flay them. And he goes, I flayed him and his wife and, and made his son wa- and brother. And I made his son watch. Flayed him living also. That's the key. Oh, yeah. 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 Very mad um, king, you know, making the son watch type thing. Oh, I didn't even make that in, that connection. Um, yeah. But and then Lord Bolton goes, OK, well, and he goes, the new Lord Kerwin paid his taxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and Roos looks slightly disturbed by Ramsey's flagrance with the flaying. Yeah, and he's just talking about flaying people while he's stuffing his face. And so Roos starts trying to talk to Ramsey about, like... Something important. Yeah, something important. You know, it's great to, like, go around and flay people, but that's not how we're going to get the supporters of the houses but basically, you know, he's like eating so intently first that he's not really paying attention. He's like, "Stop eating and listen." And, like, and Ramsey slowly like puts his fork down <laughs> <laughs> with a big old mouthful of food in his mouth. Yeah. And so he basically Bruce goes into talking about you know like we need to basically marry you to someone like important because that's how we form alliances. This is how this world works right this is what we've done we've uh he like sort of lays out like the way that they've done it like the the uh, the best way to forge lasting alliances isn't by peeling a man's skins off the uh you know the the best way is marriage we've become a great house by entering into alliances with other houses and parlaying those alliances into greater power so Roos is actually kind of strategic you know with his power uh gathering and his ambitions whereas ramsey is just like a fucking psycho going around flaying people and shit yeah which is not going to bode well because it's it's going to raise more enemies than alliances doing it that way which is essentially bolton uh roos bolton's point right and you know 
blowback. Back to, you know, your point is Ramsey's very flippant about this. He's like, well, we have the Lannisters backing us. And, you know, to Roose's point, he goes, I had a pact with Tywin and he's dead. Yeah. And the remaining Lannisters are a thousand miles away dealing with it. And also, they've never once sent their troops north, this far north. If you think they will for us, you're a fucking fool. So I think this may foreshadow that the Lannisters end up not... Well, we know that Cersei kind of tricked everybody to think that they were going to ride the Lannister army north. But I think it foreshadows that they don't ever go north. Interesting. Not in season eight. Interesting. Yeah, I thought maybe it foreshadows that eventually they do. Interest. Well, the the little teaser that we talked about last week. Right. The the Lannister uh, piece on the on the board explodes into fire, and the fire stops at the neck. Yep. So they don't get so, quite that far up north. <laughs> I don't think, or what I it, what I appear to it being the neck. I mean, it's really hard to kind of tell, but yeah, that's that's about where it is, you know. So in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> so, you know, Roost divulges the best way is marriage. And I found the perfect girl to solidify our hold in the North. I wonder who that could be. Yeah. So that, that scene's important. Jane Poole. That's who it is. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really ever see Jane Poole after the Battle of the Blackwater, do we? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, she has a much bigger role in the books. Oh, I know yeah. that. So, yeah. What is your next note? Next, we go to Kyburn and his chambers in, yes. in Picel's old laboratory, right? And he's like, first he's got a rat, and then he like, like pops Ew, it. Ew, I know. <laughs> like squirts like, blood up on like, the magnifying lens. He like is take, a little taken aback by that. Yeah. He's like, oh, that one was a squirter. It was almost like he was the mountain himself there. You know, like the mountain oh, crushed yeah. Oberyn's head squishing and he's head. squishing oh, the, little, the rat's head or whatever. So uh, Cersei comes in and tells him to send a raven to Littlefinger wherever he's slithering about, which is a yes. kind of funny line. And uh, she asks about Sir uh, Gregor's progress and, you know, more more progress has been made than I expected. Still a way to go, but very good. I'll leave you to it then. Make sure that Littlefinger is clear of the word immediately and... Um, what do you think this message is about? I think it's the message that the writer in the Knights got to the Eerie and then Roose Bolton opened it. It is. Yeah, for sure. But what is it? Like, what's it about? I think she's summoning him back to King's Landing. Mm, yeah, it makes sense immediately. Like, get back here to now, To try to bitch. find Arya, if and I'm not Varys. mistaken. Or Varys, yeah. And uh Tyrion and shit probably too yeah yeah because she's searching for allies um so she's like i gotta get a little finger back here he's pretty powerful yeah exactly that makes sense um and then in the background uh, there's like a few seconds of <laughs> not much action <laughs> yeah where kyburn's sitting at his table like doing stuff and it's just like why are we still watching this and then all of a sudden <laughs> the mountain starts seizing under the table under the the sheet on the table back there it's like holy fuck, you know, and then in super super creepy fashion, Kyburn like, is like, Shh, "Easy, friend," you know, and it's just like he's so creepy. It's awesome. He is super creepy. Love it, and that was like a great little like horror style scene to make like classic horror with like something moving under a sheet like that on a table. Yeah, like Reanimator, Frankenstein type uh, type stuff, which is really great. 
Definitely. So what's your next note? My next note is Littlefinger and Ramsey. And they're talking up, looking down at, at the, you know, like the floor below at Winterfell. Um, and excuse me, um, Ramsey goes, she really is lovely. I hope I can make her happy. Right. Such a lying sack of shit. Total mimicking human traits. And, you know, Littlefinger goes, I hope so, too. I've become quite fond of Lady Sansa during our travels together. She's suffered enough. Yeah, kind of a threat. Like, don't fuck with her. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll never hurt you. You hurt her. You have my word. Lying bastard. I guess he's not a bastard anymore, but. Well, I think I have a note. Do you think Littlefinger is warning Ramsay because Littlefinger knows he's crazy or like just telling him like look treat her gently because she's gone through a lot it's both like saying she's suffered enough is like treat her well and saying i've become quite fond of lady sansa during our travels together is a threat like you fuck with her you fuck with me got it because he's got a reputation you know yeah i'll never hurt her yeah you have my word yeah right you freaking raper fucking (laughs) liar and then we learn he says i've heard very little about you which makes you quite a rare thing as lords go so maybe Littlefinger like really didn't know how sadistic Ramsay is I I truly don't think he knows the extent I mean I'm sure he figures that he's probably fairly tough like from a like his father's Roose Bolton and Roose Bolton is not the most like forgiving person right you know, there's, there's theories that he may be a vampire in the books <laughs> oh really interestingly yeah he gets leeched all the time and he like has like like there's like a blood thing you know and he just like is really pale with like gray eyes and oh crazy it's pretty interesting oh yeah so i mean i i think that Littlefinger, this is a warning to ramsey but i don't think Littlefinger ever thought the horrors that he would do to sansa Mm -hmm. from like i mean i it's his wedding night and I mean a virgin she's probably gonna be nervous but like having reek watch and then beating her like and you know basically raping her night after night and locking her in the tower yep. I don't think really Littlefinger had that notion I mean maybe he thought like Sansa would be reluctant and he might force it but she would I don't know he, yeah who knows I don't think he knew the extent. Ramsey, like of his, yeah, yeah, of his psychopathy or whatever, his sadism. Yeah. So Ramsey like takes it up another notch here, and he's like, uh, no, he's like thanking Baelish. He's like, I'm forever in your debt, and like gives a super creepy smile, like evil, Ugh. evil Frodo. And it's it almost <laughs> like in, elicits like the uncanny valley effect where something is very close to being human but it's not quite human and it like gives you like a feeling of revulsion and that's what i feel like like ramsey is every here, time like, he's on scene <laughs> yeah at least when he's like doing like this like pretending to be like mimicking human behavior it creates that like uncanny right. valley effect which is impressive acting because obviously he is a human and he does feel empathy the actor i'm assuming ewan rian you know Oh, I'm sure. Can you yeah. <laughs> imagine having to film that scene with Sophie Turner and being like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Right. I'm like ripping your dress off. <laughs> yeah, that's what a, yeah, Drogo uh, would say that when he, the, the scene where they've where he raped Danny in the beginning on their marriage night. Oh, 
yeah. Uh, apparently, yeah. in between takes, Jason Momoa was like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm so sorry about this, Amelia. Like, you know, forgive me <laughs> and everything." Oh, like, that's so sad. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, that has to be really awkward to film those rape scenes, mm-hmm. like from both sides. But I think especially the guys, because <laughs> I can't imagine Jason Momoa being like a rapist. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to see Aquaman. Oh my mm-hmm. god. Yeah, it should be fun. So uh, yeah, we get a little evil Frodo here, and because uh, <laughs> he looks like Frodo Baggins yeah. from Lord of the Rings, kind of. Yes, he does. And uh, there's an- another scene coming up, like or in this scene when Littlefinger is then talking to Roos. I assure you, <clears throat> she's still a virgin. He's like, I don't care. <laughs> I just need her name. I'll leave that to the brothel keeper. It's her name I need, not her virtue. Yeah, and this should be a red flag to Littlefinger. Like, they really don't give a fuck about Sansa, you know? No. Um, but instead, he's like, then I have delivered everything I promised, you know? Like, I don't give a fuck about her either, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Which is fucked. And Roos makes a good point, too. He's like, are you prepared for the consequences? Like, you just basically sold Sansa to me and are going against the Lannisters. Right. Yeah. Well, Tywin's dead basically. So the Lannisters yeah. aren't what they used to be. Yeah. Littlefinger makes that point. He goes, the Lannister name doesn't mean what it once did. Tywin exactly. is dead. He kept his house and power by sheer will. And, and Bolton goes, you know, well, the queen's not going to be very happy about it. He goes, queen Marjorie adores Sansa. Right. Yeah. Cersei is the queen mother. The title of, a title, title of importance wait a title oh, whose importance yeah. wanes with each passing day yeah but apparently she still thinks you're in the veil <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was funny because the rider came from the veil yeah and the seal is broken so we know that Roos is still very wary of Littlefinger as he should be yep and all these power plays that are going on like bring selling surge uh, selling Sansa to the Boltons and stuff all just repercussions of the power vacuum created by Tywin's death. For sure. Like the Lannisters are losing their grip just as Jamie was worried about. They'll come for us to steal everything that we, you know, that we own. Yeah, and he I mean, Roos makes a really great point. I mean, you're receiving word from a rider in the night from the Queen Mother. It doesn't let me, you know, it doesn't inspire I'm, confidence necessarily. Yeah, I'm going to question your alliance with me here cuz mm-hmm. that's kind of weird and A message for me, you say. Strange that the seal is broken. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and exactly. Roos makes some really good points. I mean, he's totally like prying with Littlefinger. He goes, the Lannisters made you one of the great lords of Westeros. Yet here you are in the north undermining them. Why gamble with your position? Yeah, good question for sure. And his response is great. Every ambitious move is a gamble. You gambled when you drove a dagger into Rob Stark's heart. It appears your gamble paid off. You're warden of the north. Oh, and he's like, I had Tywin Lannister's backing. Who supports me now? You? The Eyrie is mine. The last time the Lords of the Eyrie formed an alliance with the Lords of the North, they brought down the greatest dynasty this world has ever known. Robert's Rebellion, you know. Absolutely. Um, and he's like, I'd like to borrow one of your birds. Cersei will expect a reply. I'd like to read the reply. <laughs> <laughs> Classic little back and forth between those two. Yes, I love it. Yeah, and that wraps up all my notes for the episode. Me too. Perfect. So stick with us, guys. We'll be right back after a brief musical interview. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
That's your new favorite beat maker coming back at you this week from Poland. It's Pold, P-O-L-D. Check them out on soundcloud.com slash pold hyphen music. And we're back with news about Game of Thrones. First, from winteriscoming.net, Kit Harrington auditions for How to Train Your Dragon in Hilarious Video. Oh, by, yeah, by I Corey saw this. Smith. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I have it posted on our Facebook for anybody who wants to check it out, the actual video. But the uh, article continues. Game of Thrones is coming to an end, but it might be a while before star Kit Harrington can escape the shadow of Jon Snow. For example, Harrington is reprising the role of Eret in next year's How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Whoa, he's actually going to be in the movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. In this hilarious, quote, audition footage, Harrington shares the screen with the dragon Toothless, and a a lot of what he said should ring a bell for Game of Thrones fans. You've got to love the director calling Harrington Harrington Chip at the beginning, and he corrects him. Oh, it's Kit, actually. (laughs) And uh, he has funny quotes like, first I'm dead, then I'm not, no one knows who my mother is, you know. And uh, just pretty funny. So if you guys want to check that out, head over to uh, facebook.com slash GOM podcast. And we have it posted. You can watch this for yourself. From Wiki of Thrones, video shows supercut of all 174,373 deaths from Game of Thrones by Palash Volvoiker. Volvoiker. Sorry if I butchered your name. (laughs) (laughs) Game of Thrones is a show famous for being the show with unlimited sex and murder. While the show does carry a powerful storyline, it has a fair share of gore, and we have lost our count of how many people have gotten killed on the show over its seven-season run. However, one passionate YouTuber has now made a supercut video for us showing every single one of the 174,373 deaths on the show. Wow. Just so you guys know, this is, um, it came out in like November of last year, but I didn't know about it and it's pretty fucking, just sounds pretty epic. So I thought it would be worth uh, covering on the show. So the article continues to say, read on the video made by YouTuber Leon Andrew Raison compilations run a little over a little under 24 minutes and shows the 174,373 deaths we have seen over the years it covers the entire length of the show starting from the very first scene where the night's watch finds wildlings right to the last one when the night when the night king blows a huge chunk of the wall this is basically an update to the YouTuber's older video showing supercut of deaths from season one through six. We are definitely looking forward to where the number reached as season eight closes. If Valar Mogulis is actually literally true, then perhaps it will be then perhaps it'll be all of them. What do you think? We will post the video in, on the GOM Facebook page. That's crazy. Yeah, that's so many deaths. It's like hard to fathom. I know. I would count all of them. No, I'm kidding. Well, somebody did. Yeah. <laughs> Someone had the time to do that. Yeah, that guy apparently. Um, Leon Andrew Raison compilations. <laughs> it's brutal. Wow. 
Moving on to Game of Thrones and History from Latin Language Blog, Game of Thrones and Ancient Rome, Part 2, by, by Brittany Britannier. Tyrion Lannister versus Emperor Claudius. These two figures represent the black sheep of their families. Both Tyrion and Claudius are born into prestigious families of power, and both are ridiculed and belittled for their physical abnormalities. However, none of their physical traits interfere with their witty minds and capability to lead. In Tyrion's case, into a battle a few times, into battle a few times, and in Claudius's case, ruling Rome and Britain. I, of course, refer to the Emperor Claudius that many people know from Robert Graves' series I, Claudius, in which Claudius has the good sense to, quote, play the fool in order to be overlooked in the chaos and murders of those wishing to be emperor. Tyrion, unfortunately, does not have this reticent talent. Next, we have Kingsguard versus Praetorian Guard. These two guards of the highest degree and class are sworn to protect their king and or emperor. They are usually loyal, but are loyal loyal more so to those with the large coffer. While the king's guards swear their lives to the king and forsake women and children, the Roman Praetorian guards are bodyguards who are allowed to have a family. Furthermore, the Kingsguard is used as a political tool by various characters to promote their allies and give power, while the Praetorian Guard is both both a political tool, but at the same time it becomes its own political body. They were even able to claim Claudius as the Emperor of Rome. Interesting. I hadn't heard this one before, the War War of Five Kings versus the Year of the Five Emperors. Cool. Yeah, in both cases, kings and emperors claim power when they have none or seek to take power where they see weakness. But unlike the War of the Five Kings, the Year of Five Emperors features the succession and death assassination of five different emperors within a year. The War of Five Kings is the fight and struggle of five men fighting each other within several years. Um, the seven, quote, the seven kingdoms are at war with one another. False kings destroying the country. The usurper is dead. The Starks fight the Lannisters. The Brathians fight each other. Uh, Daenerys Targaryen to Jorah Mormont. The year of the five emperors refers to the year 193, in which there were five claimants to the title of Roman emperor. The five were Pertinax, Didius Julianus, Pisinius Niger, Clodius Albinus, and Septimius Severus. All these emperors, quote, unquote, (laughs) fought, plotted, and bribed their way to power. You can read about the crazy year of 193 in a link in this article, which we will post. In Game of Thrones, the War of Five Kings includes Robb Stark, Joffrey Baratheon, Renly Baratheon, Stannis Baratheon, and Balon Greyjoy, all of whom are contending for the Iron Throne after Robert Baratheon's death. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, for sure. What's that sound? Do you see that on the horizon? <laughs> Sir Matthew of House Rep. It looks like Arya has learned some choice vocabulary from her time with the Hound, which is playing the game of faces with her new bestie, the Waif. Yeah, totally right. She's emulating the Hound every episode now. Very much. She loves him. 
He's the father figure she always wanted. <laughs> the look on that pompous ass Janos as Sir Alistair steps aside to let the Night's Watch take him to the chopping block was priceless. Looks he like soiled he soiled <laughs> himself again. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally, totally. And if not before he died, then after he died. <laughs> or both. Because as we learned last time, the last thing you do before you die is shake your pants. Looks like he had as many powerful friends at Castle Black as he did in King's Landing. <laughs> Oh, good call. <laughs> Peter Baelish tells Sansa she needs to stop being a bystander to tragedy. Little does she know she will soon be the victim of it when married to off to Ramsay. Oh exactly, God. that's what I was saying. Experience it firsthand. Yeah. Lastly, <laughs> lastly, we get our first appearance of Frank and Gregor. Yeah. Yes. Great under the, feedback. Under the sheet, Frank and Gregor, but you know it's... Having a seizure. Yeah, I love that part. Yeah, thanks for writing that. I always love Matt's feedback. Definitely. Or Sir Matthew, I should say. <laughs> Lady Sarah of House Larkham. Littlefinger says to Sansa on the mountaintop that we make our own justice. Flash forward to season seven, episode seven, when Sansa says the exact same thing back to Baelish, is confronted and killed in the hall at Winterfell by Arya. When Cersei goes to meet the High Sparrow, the camera focuses on his feet jump forward to season six episode 10 when the sept is blown up by cersei the high sparrow's feet are the first to be blown up oh shit interesting also it focuses on cersei's feet when she's doing her walk of shame oh yeah i'm sure when they're all like bloody definitely yeah all fucked up yeah aria hides needles in the pile of rocks outside the house of black and white Arya goes back to the pile of rocks to recover Needle in season six, episode six. When she tells the actress from the play who plays Cersei that the actress playing Sansa wants to kill her, Arya makes the, the decision not to follow through with the poison. The waif sees her. She tells Jockin of Arya's failure to kill and Jockin orders the waif to kill Arya. Lady Lisa of House Sky, Pyromancer. Oh, I love the Brienne and Pod relationship so much. There's so much going on there beneath the surface. Two insecure, highly underrated, and misunderstood people in different walks of life coming together to learn from each other. Oh, it's such good writing. <laughs> yes, it is. I love their little relationship that they have. Yeah, it's great. They're like yin and yang for each other. Definitely. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay, Lord Nick of House Wiccans writes, To be honest, I don't think Pod needs to train with his sword twice a day. He seems good enough. <laughs> he does need to learn how to ride a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's talking about uh, that sword. Oh. oh. <laughs> but a bang. <laughs> nice. Lord Zach of House Bruce. In High Sparrow, Roos and Baelish have a conversation about marrying Ramsay and Sansa going against the Lannisters. Roos said he had an alliance with Tywin Lannister, but he's dead now. It's a great conversation between two schemers. Definitely. Agreed. Thanks for writing in, guys. Yeah, thank you. Hello, Duncan and Rachel. It's Zach again with feedback for High Sparrow. I love the open of this episode in the House of Black and White, and I uh, really like Jack and Hagar's quote, There is only one God. A girl knows his name, and all men know his gift. To me, when he says all men know his gift, he's talking about death. So, is the many-faced God the God of death? 
Is he the great other, the opposite of R'hllor? Is he the stranger in the religion of the seven? I still don't know how to fit the many-faced God into the how it relates to the other religions of Westeros. I love Marjorie's manipulation of Tommen and uh, how she is just seems like she's just chatting him up, but ultimately she kind of gets around to her point about Cersei always being around and uh, basically planting the seeds of uh, trying to get Tommen to see if she'll uh, Cersei will leave and go back to Casterly Rock. When Cersei uh, comes back to Marjorie and her and her girlfriends are having their little uh, brunch, they, uh, I love the line where Marjorie talks about uh, getting some wine for Cersei. It's a little bit early for them. That's just so hilarious that uh, she's digging on Cersei being such an alcoholic. Oh, oh man, this episode for Sansa is... Oh, it's so hard knowing what's going to happen. When she realizes what Littlefinger is up to and her and his plans for her, he tells her, say the word, and they'll turn around and just do it, Sansa. Turn around and run away. Just don't do it. It's not worth it. And to me, the line Littlefinger uses to kind of change your mind is not really that good of an argument. He says, avenge your family. How is she going to avenge her family by marrying Ramsay fucking Bolton? To, oh, Sansa, don't do it. Um, the quote, there's no justice in the world, not unless we make it. Um, that's pretty interesting, being how Sansa's story goes and the justice that she makes in Season 7 regarding Littlefinger. Oh, that's that's really good. Um, I really liked Arya throwing her stuff away, and uh, after they kind of called her out on be- being ready to start training to become no one. I remember the first time I watched this, I was she got to Needle, and I was like, oh my God, she's going to throw it away. I really thought, I didn't know, I was not a book reader when I first watched the show. I didn't know anything about where her story was going. But I was like, oh my God, please don't throw that sword away. And she was holding it above the water. And I was like, oh my God, she's just going to drop it. And then she didn't. And I was, oh man, that was such a joyous moment. The first time I watched the show, I was like, yeah, you hide that sword and you'll get it later, girlfriend. Um, Man, I love Arya's story so much. And then my last note was, uh, oh, about when um, stinking old coward Jano Slint tries to uh, backtalk Jon Snow. The um, not too long ago, I read this passage in a dance, uh, a dance with dragons, and uh, I, I'd really like to read the whole passage, but I won't uh, for time. But uh, one particular sentence where they were, he John told them, told Ed and his guys to um, grab Jano Slint and take him outside. Um, the quote from the books was uh, they were worried that Sir Alistair was going to stand in their way, and there were lots of other men in the hall, uh, king's men and queen's men from Stannis' army, 
And John said uh, to himself, for a moment the world balanced on a sword's edge. Depending on how that played out, if uh, Alistair Thorne was going to stand in John's way for um, executing justice, um, or, you know, and he did the same thing in the show. Alistair kind of stood up in front of him, and uh, but then he just stepped out of the way and uh, let him take old Jano Slint. So uh, I really enjoyed this scene in the book and in the show. That uh, was really good. And uh, that was a very satisfying end, especially re- remembering what all Jano Slint did in King's Landing in Season 1 and screwing Ned over and all that stuff. So anyway, those are my notes from High Sparrow. Thanks for the great podcast. Keep it up. Always so great to hear from you, Lord Zach. Thanks so much for sending your thoughts. All right, that's our show, episode 85. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you guys for listening. Christmas is coming. This year, for your online holiday shopping, just go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. If you'd like to donate or subscribe to support us, you can go to paypal.me slash gompodcast and patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both at gameofmicrophones.com. Any contribution you make helps, and you can help secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones. We'd like to thank our patrons, Sir Matthew of House Rep, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Lady Candace of House Twos, Lord Jeff of House Allen, Sirenicide, and Luke the Low Duke. We love you guys and appreciate your patronage. Yes, absolutely. Thank you guys so much. We're also working on putting together some more interesting incentives for supporting the show. Let us know what you'd want or if you have any cool ideas. We'd love to hear them. Yes. Yeah, we'll try to make it happen. We also want to give a huge thanks to Lady Lisa of House Sky, Pyromancer. She's been key behind the scenes working to get GameOfMicrophones.com up and running. And she's also an amazing artist. Like, really, she's super good, right? That Robin Williams one? Amazing. (laughs) So check out her amazingly illustrated children's book, The People You May See, available now on Amazon. And check out her art at fineartbylisa.com. Next episode, we'll be covering Season 5, Episode 4, Sons of the Harpy. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on the air. If you'd like to call, you can reach us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you would like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. And give us a like and a rating while you're there. Ratings on iTunes would also help a lot. So help us out and give us a review on iTunes. Give us a five star or die. (laughs) Or we'll find you. You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steam It. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. 
We can't create a custom URL on YouTube until we have at least 100 subscribers, so please subscribe as well. Likes, comments, and shares are also greatly appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Minds at GOM Podcast. And we're on Tumblr, too, at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. You said I could be your apprentice. You said you'd teach me how to be a faceless man. A man teaches a girl. Valar Doharis, all men must serve. Faceless men, most of all. I want to serve. A girl wants to serve herself. Here we serve the many-faced god. To serve well, a girl must become no one. Which one is the many-faced god? I see the stranger, I see the drowned god, I see the weirwood face. There is only one god. A girl knows his name, and all men know his gift. And Pod's like wigging out. Yeah. He's burying his ham bone. Right, I'm sure, yes. <laughs> I find it funny that his last name is Payne because he's such a pain in Brianne's ass. <laughs> Sorry you have to squire for such a nasty person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> she, Cersei's like brushes it off. There's no need for such formalities. Like, fuck you. Her reign is up. Her, her reign on the top was short like leprechauns. Or in this case, like <laughs> imps. And Cersei's just like, <laughs> anything you need. Like, shut yeah. the fuck up. I yeah. need to get out of here before yeah. I rip your face off. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is inherently blasphemous, I feel. Imp slap. Damn, this guy is slippery as fuck. Yeah, very slippery slimy. as fuck. Oh, peekaboo. Peekaboo. <laughs> what the fuck like i'm supposed to trust you and you're gonna sell me to roos bolton yeah sausages by the mm. way <laughs> <laughs> the look on that pompous ass janos and as sir <laughs> fuck the look on that pompous ass janos you can also listen to game of micro blah, 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 blah. <laughs> death